How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Upon Further Review. How's everybody doing? Good, man. Good. Doing good. All right, let's go around and see who we have on this week's podcast. Uh, my name's Paul, and this is between y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Trevor Reese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brian Nicholas. Man, you don't have enough rhythm to to say that. Uh, Chris Fimbres. I think he only uses it for Craigslist casual encounters. <laughs> um, this is Noah Kinsey. All right, so let's get into this. But first off, have we seen any movies lately? Um, yeah, I watched Harold Ahmad. I meant to mention that in the last one. Um, but I saw Harold Ahmad recently. That was super good. Um, Does it still hold up? Yeah, 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 for sure. It was funny because it was right around the time we had done... Uh, like the graduate mm. um or the oh, graduate yeah. it was recent enough that i was still thinking about it it was the end of um it was a couple of weeks ago and um it was at ucb they have this thing that alex fernie hosts called um required viewing and he has some comedian from the community come in and have like an essential film and they sort of talk about it beforehand and introduce it and then you just watch it oh cool and then it's it's not like comedic films or like they don't do running commentary like london parham did uh silence of the lambs and then um this one was um natasha legero's choice oh i love her and so she came out mm-hmm. and her alex fernie and then uh i think it's alex fernie's girlfriend fiance wife i'm not exactly sure what their relationship is but um they hosted together and then they have the guests and talk about it, it was super cool and it was funny because it was like Seeing that and The Graduate, it was like seeing back-to-back, like, Wes Anderson's two huge influences mm-hmm. on his life. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, totally. Yeah, because it had, That's like, funny. between the Simon and Garfunkel soundtrack of uh, The Graduate and Cat Stevens does the same thing for Harold Ahmad. It's like, holy crap, this is watching the one-two punch that yeah. created Wes Anderson. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was all I really watched. I watched some show stuff, um, but other than that, it was, yeah. Uh, I'll let Chris go first. Well, have you seen Compton yet? No. You, no one has seen it yet? No. Ah, oh, man, I thought you were going to talk about it. No. Wow, so do that you sounds kind of racist. What's that? No, yeah, no, I had planned <laughs> on it, uh, and I, I still am. There's still time, and I will. I know. But I, I, I figure you're rushing Did you want to talk about it? No, if you saw it, I wanted to hear your opinion about it. Uh, or anyone's Well, you opinion. talked about it last time, right? Yeah, yeah but yeah, I wanted yeah. to hear like someone else's opinion other than yeah, me. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> so just every week you're on you're just gonna yeah. ask yeah, just anybody, anybody? even when i do i'll be like no uh, <laughs> damn it well because it's making so much money now i figure yeah. everyone's seeing it mm-hmm. but have you seen anything else um yeah you know what i want to uh, devote my uh seeing time to talk about uh the hannibal finale oh yeah yeah that fucking episode shocked me Literally, I like I my body was in a different place uh, than when I started watching it. Like I just felt like uh, a huge impact from like the beauty and the fucking just shock of this uh, final episode. Um, and you know what? It was an amazing show. All three seasons were beautifully shot. God damn it! The stories were amazing. The characters, actors, and men—they did fantastic jobs. Um, but that, that last season, it was like two seasons cause it was, they did like uh, two different storylines, but they were, they were beautiful, man. And I hope it gets picked up cause I would like to see, uh, how they come back from that. But it was huge, a huge episode. Um, and it was, it was amazing. And I would recommend that if, if you guys aren't watching Hannibal, Hulu, I mean, wherever it's at, Amazon. check it out. 
Yeah, they actually tried to, or were trying to get Amazon to pick it up because Amazon has the rights, I guess, to have it on their instant or their Prime. Mm. Um, but it didn't come through. But uh, the creator is talking about doing a movie because at this point, all the other actors are signed on to other stuff, so it's not like they can even do the conventional mm. TV route because I mean, it would have to be kind of like with the rest of development and um, what how American Summer Show they would mm. have to kind of play with people's schedules mm. so, i hate when they do that because yeah. you can tell on the screen when like oh this guy was only available for mm-hmm. a certain time yeah and i feel like arrested development did like they did it not wrong it's just sort of like this is the first time they were doing it and so mm-hmm. they just got the short end of the stick because it definitely yeah. felt like uneven with yeah. the fact that the only scene that they had all of them together was that like main uh living room scene yeah, yeah that was the only scene with all of them together and they just shot that all like in like a day or two mm. and whereas like something like wet hot american summer never had that feel mm. to right. it that you felt like yeah obviously probably like their schedules were a little but do you think the they kind of maybe learned from arrested's experience? i don't know if it was an active thing but you can definitely see where it where it can go wrong or where it can go, mm. go right and I felt yeah. the parts where uh, Amy Poehler and Bradley Cooper, I was like, okay, that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. That yeah, felt like totally. disconnected from the rest of the show. Like they yeah. filmed that in a couple of weeks. And yeah. Then, mm-hmm. yeah. Which but yeah, and true. that's sort of the thing of it is I think probably, yeah, they definitely had some scheduling conflicts and stuff like that, yeah. like Rested Development would have. Because now they're all A-list actors and mm-hmm. it's tough to get them for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I just, I watched the Hannibal finale with Chris as well. And I've only watched the season three premiere and the finale. Like, I know the story right. of it, so I felt like, okay, I can kind of tag along. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know the Red Dragon story. And, yeah, it was super, super cool. Like, All it was right. just, it was beautiful. And, like... I gotta check the show out. It was, it, yeah, it was so wonderful. And Brian Fuller is, like, I think this is probably his, like, best show he's done. It feels like it's the perfect marriage between, like, what he wants to do with his style and the source material being there for him. Because he did, like, Pushing Daisies and uh, Dead Like Me. So he's done, like, a lot of, like, not necessarily macabre, but definitely, like, more, like, dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. And this really was, like, right there and the yeah. source was there. And then, like, the the whole, like, last 10 minutes of the show is just this gorgeously dark, depressing, like, beautiful, fantastic scene. Um, I don't want to say really what it's about. Hmm. Um but it's this, it's it's a confrontation, and it's just beautiful. It's just gorgeous, and it's dark and insane. And it was just, and to quote Will Graham, it's beautiful. Mm. Um, is that an NBC show? Yeah, that's what it's on NBC. NBC. But is it is it as like gory or yes. graphic? Because yes, in, no. Yeah. no, is it? Yes, mm-hmm. how? Because <laughs> I figure because like that can't be as crazy as like an FX show or an AMC oh, show. It's not, it's, no, it's, it is not. Okay, they well they they make stylistic choices that make it appear that it's just. Is as it bad. more kind of implied? No, that's not necessarily. But true, I also dude. haven't seen that much. Yeah, but um, I know networks. If you've watched just like the uh, the first season, even some of the murders that they portray, because it originally starts at their. Um, they call in Will to try to track down a certain killer. And they bring in uh, Hannibal to be Will's uh, psychiatrist because yeah. he's he's kind of teetering. And um, so what he does is uh, he's able to put himself in the mind of a killer. So he sees himself reenacting every single murder that takes place within, like, these crazy psychotic individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're gruesome. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. 
people were like sewn to other people's bodies and like he, somebody built a tower full of limbs. I mean, it is a gruesome, gruesome show, but it's done in it. Like I've never wanted to eat a person until I saw Hannibal. Cooking. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, that human meat falls right off of the bone. I would just fuck that up. <laughs> so it's not as toned down as a normal network show. No, and no. I, I'm well, surprised that this was even on NBC because oh, okay. that's, that's not that's not usually their shit. Mm. Um, and you would this show kind of feels like maybe uh, uh, FX or like AMC or, even or HBO. HBO. Like yeah. it felt like a Showtime HBO type feel, oh, okay. like almost like a Dexter type feel to mm. uh, the violence. But it's mm. also like with the violence and stuff like that, like with all the procedural stuff, and especially mm. like SVU and like Criminal Minds and a lot of the darker procedural shows. They've gotten away with a lot of the stuff to sort of pave the way for because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what it, this show is in its own twisted way. A procedural show oh, okay. like it is very much like hannibal and will graham go and fight crime together <laughs> in a way and like that's like the base 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 thing of it and i think that's kind of also why nbc was attracted to it and like because they have like that lucifer show coming up on fox mm-hmm. which is butchering the source material but the whole basic thing is there and it's the devil fights crime with the lapd <laughs> um and so yeah it's just i don't know it's really good and but it's all, yeah it's super super fucking amazing it is it's, cool. it's not tamed down at all mm-hmm. and three seasons and it's over it's yeah like, i mean it's, it's looking like that way right I, now i kind of hope after that finale i'm i mean yeah i mean if it went like I'll, I'll say this if that was the last episode that's one of the best shows i've seen yeah, uh, they dropped the first mic. like for a first second season like they were they all ended to where they could have like been like the last, maybe not so much the first season but they all could have ended at some point and if this is the end I mean that's a fucking awesome story mm-hmm. like you don't need to come back from that if you didn't want to but if you did and the way they do that show I'd I'd be into it and I'd be on board to watch cool yeah it's always disappointing when such an excellent show has like a shitty final season or two mm-hmm. and you're like damn it <laughs> like with damages. That first season was perfect. And then I felt like every even number season was not good and every odd number season was good. And it's like, but by the end, it's just like, I don't care anymore. And it was so, the first season was so perfect. That's why I'm terrified about the second season of Fargo is I love the first season so much that I'm like, how do you Previous, From what I've seen in the previews, it looks good. Oh, it looks amazing. I mean... They cast they casted that show very well. It has to be fun to cast that show because yeah. you see people like I know. Oh wow, <laughs> this person's gonna be on it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think like the the more the anthology series yeah. lends itself a little bit right. More. The stakes aren't as high because they're all some quasi separated stories. Yeah, yeah, and so that sort of allows you to just reset the board every time. Mm-hmm. But then, it, but then it becomes a hard challenge of having to recreate. The magic. The magic, as mm-hmm. opposed to having like a continual, like serialized story where you just yeah. prolong the magic or find a new way to display the magic. Sort and of I thing. think we saw that with True Detective season one versus season two. I mean, just I haven't seen it, but right. listening to the critical response, it's been not awesome after a season where the critics like, this is the best show yeah. ever. Well, I mean, like everybody's just shitting on that show now. Oh, Heroes, <laughs> Heroes is coming back, and that was <laughs> <laughs> for me, that's that's my 
season one was perfect. Yeah, and I've and heard like every other season was horrible. Off. So why is everyone so excited? I feel like because the first season was so good, <sighs> and now we've shed. Well, the thing about it is that was the longest. Come running. back here, baby. I changed. That I was promise. the longest. Well, the times have kind of changed too. Uh, yeah, with the the superhero. Um, yeah, the 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 markets changed and everything, but also that one it was hit hard by the writers. That's what I was yeah. gonna say. It was right yeah. in the middle. Of the yeah, hype, it was the right in the middle, yeah. and they got like taken down. They had a completely different storyline for their second season mm-hmm. and then had he, he wanted it to be a completely new cast right and he wanted to go each season with a new group of super yeah he people. wanted to do that and got tacked out of that yeah. and so it seems like I, the, I heard that's what he's doing with this new one mm-hmm. yeah it's a whole new cast um yeah. there's a few people carrying over but it's mm. yeah it's basically a new group of people um but yeah, it definitely like I'm very excited for the next one, but it also like fell off hard. <laughs> it was super bad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see anything? I saw a documentary on Netflix, so you guys can check it out if you want to. Or maybe you have already. It's called The Lost Soul. Mm-hmm. Or Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, oh I want to see that. that? I've I've listened to the How Did This Get Made podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that. that's is that's the documentary. It. Yeah, it's on. Netflix oh, I gotta now. see it. It's yeah. really good because the you can see the guy Richard Stanley. He's just a nutcase, <laughs> and you can see why after four days. Well, they don't really talk about it, but after four days, they fire him from the production. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like similarities and differences between this and the new Fantastic Four. Like I was like, interesting. Maybe it was just in my mind because the. The new one was just like a disaster. Mm. But I was just like, this possibly could have happened to Josh Trank. Like he was on the set and they fired him and like all this shit happened. And there was a bunch of egos. It's funny to hear the stories of uh, Val Kilmer and uh, Marlon Brando. Like Brando's daughter just committed suicide before they started shooting. So he was all up in a being a dick. Same with Val Kilmer. He just got served divorce papers before they started shooting. So Yeah, like Val Kilmer was supposed to be the lead. Yeah, and then because of everything kind of going on, he's just like, you know what? I want to be oh, the side, <laughs> guy. To be the side yeah. guy. And then he was being a dick. And then uh, Farusa Balk is in the documentary. She talks about like Marlon Brando just fucking with the director, yeah. coming up with like <laughs> batshit crazy ideas of like um, Marlon Brando was telling the director like, oh, at the end of the movie, I want to take off my hat and uh, a dolphin fin is on my head. To to reveal that I'm a dolphin the whole time. (laughs) That would have explained so much. It would have made that movie amazing. (laughs) Like crazy ideas with that. And Brando would just take over. Like you can see, if you've ever seen the uh, Apocalypse Now documentary, the uh, Hearts of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Yeah, that you can see how crazy he is back then. But then this is just like 20 years later. He's still just a dick. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting. I wonder, like, I mean, I'm not not too much of a Brando buff. Mm -hmm. which is what i call brando fans yeah (laughs) Um, i think that that's created already but i want to know (laughs) when like his intense when this transition happened like his intensity changed into insanity like i want to figure it out because it seems like it was around that time like around the even the godfather apocalypse What? Talking about Vito Colleone. Yeah. But hey, he, he's amazing at all this stuff we're yeah. talking about, except for the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still good. And so, yeah, yeah, like wondering when he transitioned mm. into like, because even like the stuff with like my, like Godfather and stuff like that isn't really as insane as stuff like what we No, but you see hints about. of it. The fact yeah. that he didn't even have the script memorized. Yeah, he, he wanted learn, to learn tell lines. people, yeah. like say his line and then he'd say it on camera. And even like in the opening scene of The Godfather, he just found a cat. Yeah. And he's, he's like, like, I, I, I think my character it. has a cat. Yeah. 
And like, well, that that's worked. what the the little uh, the little guy, the little guy Doctor <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that was his. It was his, it was his cat for that movie. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then even the little guy, they, <laughs> they, I found they, play they, with they talk about the little guy that because. <laughs> uh, Brando was so like a proponent of the little guy being like in every scene that yeah. the little guy got a big head about yeah. it and he was being a dick to everybody on the set. <laughs> and hey, he man, was if like, Bra- hitting- if Marlon Brando's gonna back you up, then fuck everyone yeah. else. Seriously. <laughs> like he, he was hitting on all the women. He's like uh, punching guys in the dick because yeah. that's where that's the level he can reach. <laughs> it is just nuts. And also, like, because um, when you see the behind the scenes, you see how crazy it is. Have you guys ever seen like pictures of the movie or like the trailer of the movie? I've, yeah. I've like, seen I the remember movie. When oh, you've seen yeah. I saw it in the theater. Oh, wow. I left <laughs> so confused about life in general. It was horrible. Yeah, they show, because it's about like a mixture of people and animals mm. or a hybrid about yeah. of them. Yeah. So you see the behind the scenes of people dressed as animals. And it reminded me of like people in Mad Max, like having to be behind the scenes, being in a crazy outfit for hours on end and... <laughs> Just having casual conversations. Yeah. Well, and just to be in the background, to populate this <laughs> insane world. Yeah. Like, I'm dressed as half of a person, half of an animal. Yeah, and they, they brought in a new director, John Frankenheimer, I want to say. And then, like, he had troubles, too, corralling Kilmer and sure. Brando. So these people, these extras would be dressed for all day. They would be in makeup all day and then not shoot that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just had these comparisons of, like, Mad Max is a movie where all that crazy shit worked, but this, like, it can go either way. Like, art is so just, like, yeah. it can work or it can just be shitty. But that, I mean, you gotta I mean, that's kind of a cool job, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, honey, you gotta go to work. They painted me up as a as a wolf fish, uh, <laughs> and I just kind of sat around uh, talking to my buddies. Yeah, uh, we bullshitted it all day. We didn't actually We're going to go play golf this weekend. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, we got we to left. do it dressed. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> edibles. And they're in the middle of Australia. They're in a little island just so... Because Richard Stanley chose this spot just to, to see like the mountain range or some shit. Mm-hmm. But then they didn't realize that that's like the most hurricane spot oh yeah <laughs> no so, research was done no right. location yeah. expert would be like so, uh so even after the first director was booted they still uh, stuck to like his vision of it they kind of did like they had all like everything in place but brando just kept rewriting the script and like coming up with his shitty ideas and just fucking Jesus. with everybody god he's so crazy yeah i wish i could have like seen that <laughs> I had one more thing. I think that's it. I'm okay. Gonna <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, I too saw the Wet Hot American Summer prequel series, mm-hmm. and I thought it was alright. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. I just because David Wayne, I'm not, I'm not in sync with his humor, mm-hmm. so it's like hit or miss for me. Certain like bits and everything. Um, I love they came together. That's I don't know if you've guys seen that movie, but it's yeah, it's funny. It's amazing. I thought it was okay too. Yeah, that I one. Felt, yeah, I felt it was weaker than Wet Hot. Yeah, for the first movie. Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched the Baxter? No, it, it's Is like that a this show. No, it's a movie. Uh, it's like the straightest movie that they've done. I watched. Was it called uh, The Ten or something? Yeah, that's an anthology. Really that's that. yeah. That one's sort of mm-hmm. very scattered. Yeah. But he did role models. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he yeah he directed it. It was like yeah. probably a but yeah, the, movie. the Baxter is like this very offbeat indie romantic comedy that they did with Michael Showalter as the lead. Mm. He's kind of playing like his Cooper character, mm. <laughs> um, and then it's uh, Michelle Williams 
is like the the female lead with Elizabeth Banks and Justin Theroux as like the oh, other people and like the opposite male female like uh-huh. um connecting I don't know what those people are called the love interest people um but yeah it's super it's really cool it's very it's very sweet mm-hmm. that was something I was unexpected like very unexpected because a lot of their stuff is so ironic yeah. that any sort of heartfelt stuff is lost in, yeah or ingenuine or played yeah. for the joke that's what, um, that's what i got with the wet hot like there's <laughs> i don't know they're just it's there's no i want to say no heart but there's no stakes or anything it's just like bits after bits after yeah. bits. and yeah. i think i think um like i love his directing whenever he directs something mm-hmm. i mean even if like like i said his humor doesn't really align with mine um but the the parts I laugh the most at with the prequel series are just the tiny directing choices or character choices of just little little facial expressions mm. or reaction shots or things like that. Like I just thought that was hilarious. And my favorite character from the movie is was my favorite character of the series, which is the Christopher Maloney, the the cook yeah. part. He's yeah. awesome. And his fight with John Hamm, I'm not gonna just in case someone hasn't seen it, <laughs> but that was incredible. It was yeah. so funny. <laughs> He's my favorite um, part of the series and the movie too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but like with the movie, I definitely felt like you know this is a long sketch for the state. So mm-hmm. for me, the movie, you know, there's like you know pockets of funny stuff, but then there are certain parts that kind of felt long. I feel like this worked better as a show um, in smaller parts. Mm-hmm. I just I just think because. I don't know. I just because the way it was broken up, I feel like this was a better fit, and I definitely like this better than the movie. Um, just because of that, I feel like it worked a little bit better. But that's just me. I mean, I thought it was really well done, and I thought it was really cool. I watched. Um, I couldn't finish it, but I watched the majority of the Arrested Development Netflix uh, season. The season four. Yeah, and yeah. I just it just I it, couldn't. It drove me nuts. So I really thought this was so cool that at least it appeared they got everybody uh, back, even though I'm sure you know with the with a sketchy way they could kind of like put all the yeah. stories together. I'm sure scheduling was different, but I, I mean, like how it was produced a lot better than that. Mm-hmm. But even the movie was sort of like that. Yeah. Like there's not, Chris Maloney yeah. doesn't do much outside right. of like working with Janine Garofalo and like uh, in the can. 80 miles in the camp. Like in the regular movie. I was movie. saying the can of food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In H. Yeah. John <laughs> Benjamin's can. <laughs> um, and then um, like a lot of the stuff that Michael Showalter does is with Paul Rudd mm-hmm. and uh, Marguerite Moreau. Mm-hmm. And That's all a that. good point. Yeah, so I think it, that one also in and of itself lent itself because it was a little bit more sketchy and was a little bit more. They all felt like sketches, like yeah, put, yeah. put together for a movie. Yeah, well, and, it's a spoof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. spoofing yeah. this genre of stuff, so it doesn't have to be uh, complex, right? Yeah, They're all just yeah. bits that call back to these. Uh, oh, it's so funny! Like they, the AV Club did like an annotated uh, viewing of the original movie, and they kind of talked about all the stuff that was like reference that you might not know. Because mm-hmm. like the whole Skylab thing in the original movie, mm-hmm. that's that was an actual thing. Mm-hmm. That was a thing from the eighties. Like a chunk oh. of Skylab fell, mm-hmm. and people were just like, "It might hit you." Like there's a, <laughs> like it was like that same sort of thing. And so yeah, it is. There is a lot of references and everything like that too. I- like real life. I watched the documentary too that I think you guys watched the Hurricane. Yeah. 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 And Janine Garofalo talks about that. He's mm-hmm. like, she's like, when I was a kid, like they talked about Skylab falling. Now yeah. I'm in a movie that has <laughs> Skylab falling. Uh, I also saw it's on Netflix. I saw, finally saw Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, anyone? Hadn't, you hadn't seen that? I'd no. never seen it. Oh, it's, oh, it's wonderful. Do you like it? Yeah. It's so melancholy and sad. <laughs> oh. 
I I didn't. I guess you didn't like it. No. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't not like it. It just didn't. I felt the tone was uneven, and the, the thing that drove me nuts is I didn't care for Steve Carell's character because it it just it didn't seem like they necessarily like you didn't really know why he was the way he was, and it felt like there was something unsaid. And there's a part where he meets up with his dad, and his dad says something like. You know, the thing about, you know, the thing about your mom or I could have handled something better. I'm like, oh, okay, we're finally getting to like why he is kind of the way he is. And then Steve Carell's like, don't even bring it up. I'm like, well, God damn it. <laughs> like, so yeah. that for me, I think I, li- I, I like all the scenarios and especially that was it friendlies, the restaurant oh, yeah. or whatever. I thought yeah, that, TJ that was. Miller in them. Yeah, 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 I thought that that was yeah, great. That was funny. It just his character I feel like it so much hinged on that, and because he was apathetic, I was watching the movie. Apathy's a hard thing to play. Yeah, you, you, it's hard. Yeah, you kind of can't tell when somebody plays apathetic if they're doing a bad job or if you just inherently don't like that character. Because mm-hmm. Steve Carell's character is not an inherently likable person no. in and of itself, and yeah. so it's kind of, when you have characters like that, you're just like, do I like is Steve Carell doing a really good job? And that's why I don't like him, or is he doing a bad job? And that's why I don't like. Well, him. I kept wondering if I missed like a deleted scene that maybe would have well, yeah. connected me more with him. Mm-hmm. And it's so slice of life; like they just sort of yeah. drop you in, and yeah. it just happens to be that this is the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's where we're watching this is because this is the last couple of days these people's yeah. lives are going to go, and a lot of them just seem incomplete. Yeah, like Rob Hubel, his little like one-off scene. He's just so destroyed, uh-huh. and then ends up throwing himself off a building. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's so crazy. Yeah, I think that. But I mean, I, so that was my issue. I thought it was really yeah. well done. It was just that that was is, my issue. Is what that is? the one with uh, Kieran Knightley? Okay, uh-huh. I remember it was marketed like a huge comedy. But yeah, it, it's it wasn't. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so, and it's hard. Like a lot of these choices, it's hard. It's really hard to judge them. Not mm-hmm. to like give them a pass, but it's just like, you know. It, in real life, people would have. I think this is a very realistic portrayal so of too. the end of the world, and that's why it's sort of like, okay, with Connie Britton, even her whole like, yeah. kind of trying to hit on him. She's like, "Well, I'm, I don't belong to anybody anymore." Kinda yeah, like, that was a really cool exchange. Yeah, and also Connie Britton. Uh, come on, yeah. Steve Carell. Come on, dude. <laughs> that's what I knew. I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Connie Britton is offering herself. To, come uh, on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Um, I mean, I like the ending, and I thought that was a great final scene. But yeah, that's just I just didn't feel connected yeah. with it. But, I mean, yeah, those so it wasn't bad or hard. good in mm. my opinion. Yeah, I really like it just because. I agree with you in the tone being uneven, but when it is like very sad, I think they did that really well. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very sweet natured yeah. sadness to it. Yeah. All right. So let's let's do some a little bit of weekly news here. Cool. So uh I know this is TV, but it's such a huge thing going on right now. Um Fear the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about the pilot. I know that at this point a second episode, and by the time this airs a third episode, but just in case other people haven't seen the second Actually, episode. Actually, no. It, when's this, is this coming out? It's going to come out Monday. Monday. Yeah. So, so it'll no. be the third. This will be, oh. we will be up to date because they're skipping it because of the oh. Labor Day weekend. So, I mean, so, so yeah, we'll second. be up to date. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so you could still listen unimpeded and feel like we've if missed you, something. If you've. Well, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess my question with it, for one, it premiered to 10.1 million viewers, uh, which I. I don't think anybody was surprised about because of course there are people from the original who love the original series are going to check this out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think that's a surprise. I'll be more interested to see 
how the fin- like the ratings for episode five because there's six of the season. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see how that one does and how the second season premiere does. Um, I think that'd be more telling because, of course, once again, people are going to tune into the season finale. Um, but I, I think that that's more of a gauge of how well this show's doing. And the only thing I want to bring up today is the the mixed um, reviews and reactions to this. And did anybody else see the premiere? Yeah, I know yeah, I some it. of you have. Um, have you? No, no. Okay. Oh, well, I'm not a fan of the original, so I'm not going to. Fair this enough. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> turn off your mic for the yeah. next you ten minutes. Goddamn piece of so, shit. I'll be quiet. So my question <laughs> is, what did you guys? How did you feel about? Did it reach your expectations? What were your reactions to just the core premise of this? The Walking Dead pilot, the original one, is superior. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it just is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that's Frank Darabont, though, right? Yeah, didn't he? Just... Yeah, even but I mean, it, but you're I, already in in the world. Uh, this is sort of the creation uh, or the fall of mm-hmm. what we knew, and then the build yeah, up of this series. new world. As mm-hmm. the other one, we're just in it, so yeah. we're like, oh shit, what happens now? Mm-hmm. We already know at this point. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of it's the first episode was frustrating. I mean, by the time the second episode hits. You like wheels are turning. Mm-hmm. The first one is very slow, oh my and it's God. Yeah. it's not much happens. There's one. There's two walkers in it. They probably appear for a total of like a minute or two yeah. in the first scene. In the first, yeah, the first and, and the, the last, last scene. scene. First yeah, scene, yeah, yeah. First scene. and last scene are the only thing with walkers with implied stuff throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, oh Just wait, and they attack, showing up, not showing right? Up That's in sick. the first episode too. The attack on the bridge and the video of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um, but, yeah, it, it is slower. And I don't know how much... How, like, it's cool kind of knowing more than them. But at the same time, it's just, like, frustrating, too. Because it's like, bitch, get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also kind of cool, like, the second episode, spoilers. Um, one of the the main... The woman. The the woman of the house. The mom. The mom. What's her name? So I think this is telling of the show right now. Is <laughs> Claire? I could, not very good. <laughs> they're not. It's not that they're bad. It's just they're mom, not. Claire, maybe? Just call her mom. Yeah, mom. It's just they're not. It's not Rick Grimes. It's not Morgan. Yeah. It's not Well, there's Carl. also a source material that we knew all those characters before mm-hmm. the show even started. This is, but even, this oh, is, is this uh, brand new? This is cl- oh, yeah. yeah. This is straight oh, wow, up. Okay. This is connected that, yeah. to nothing. I didn't know that it had nothing to do with the graphic novel. No. Yeah. Um, it has name. That's so it. it's like a regular television show, you know? Um, yeah. There's a pilot. It's going to be some slow episodes, and then it'll have a build that'll lead you into the second season. But, I mean, the second episode, I thought, was really, like really stepped it up and really kind of made yeah. it much more tense and really sort of let you into the world. Because that's the other thing about it is you also kind of want to have your cake and eat it too and see a little bit of the world and watch the yeah. deconstruction of it. But at the same time, it's really, I mean, LA is going to be a shit show. <laughs> like it already is at the end yeah. of the second episode. Yeah, watching watching the pilot, um, I kind of wish that the segues, the little like inserts between family scenes could have been just something on a different part of LA where it, alludes to uh like something happening or alludes to walkers or things because it was so except for the very beginning very end it was so straightforward like family family dysfunctional drama Mm -hmm. um that i was just like ugh, because like you said i mean we already know where this world's going to end up and it's like jesus and my i guess my biggest complaint about the pilot is just i'm tired of seeing dysfunctional families 
going into some sort of like crisis and this is going to bring them together type of thing that was in Terra Nova and that was in um, Tom Cruise's The War of the Worlds. It's like, for me, I feel like it'd be a change of pace if but it was you like don't understand, a functional Mom, family. I'm a teenager. I feel things now. <laughs> and that's more important than everyone dying around us. Yeah. Well, like in Terra Nova, it's like we're going back in time. We're freaking dinosaurs and we have a boy crazy girl, uh, like an older teen who gets in trouble. Hormones, am I right? Hormones. <laughs> so, so to me, that was kind of where I felt like it was, it had such potential um, to kind of change up that. And instead they kind of fall into the safe dysfunctional family drama that this is going to bring them together. But um, at the same time, you can see me. cracks in that. Yeah. The second episode did a better job of it. Cause they took us to some different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coolest thing for me about this show really is seeing the, the fall of LA, like of a major U S city. Um, and plus we all live in LA. So, you know, just like, I want to see, it it be where it's at like right now and just see just it fall oh, down and fucking everyone's riding and downtown was packed with looting and shit. One of the most interesting like scenes in this second episode is the um um the main guy, Travis, I know that guy's mm-hmm. name. The dad. Um he is driving to his ex-wife and his son to pick them Ooh, up. Who I hate that son in the first Oh, yeah, that, that kid's going to die. Yeah. That I kind of hope so. I kind of was hoping all the teens <laughs> well, okay. would die. Here's, here's, okay. <laughs> like, that's how unlikable they were. I think the, the drug-addicted son is going to die, and the ex-wife, um, Travis's ex-wife, mm. she's going to die. The, I think those are the two to create the most dramatic tension. But the drug-addicted son... Or what if like he's the one pl- that survives all of them? Yeah, this I feel like uh, they're, they're playing him to be one of the main the leads, characters. I think so, too. But also, at the same time, it's like, he better get over his drug addiction pretty fast. Yeah, that's well, gonna, you, that's, that's how he's... Uh, they even talked about A zombie with Marl, walker a bit. bit you. How did you survive? Uh, Heroin, man. <laughs> how he just kind of had to sweat it out when it all started. Yeah. You know? I do love, in the pilot, I do love the whole thought of... He doesn't know if he imagined it while high mm-hmm. or if it's real. I thought mm-hmm. that was really because that's at the beginning. It's the the heroin kid. Yeah, I well, thought that was really clever. The thing I was gonna say is the I most like interesting that. thing from yeah. the second episode was Travis is driving to pick up his ex wife and his son, and he pass he drives through a gas station and passes like as he's pulling through, he sees a, a cop in uh, with his trunk open. He just Filling it with water. Yeah. There's just cases of stock, cases of water stocking up. That's awesome. And so, it, yeah, it's like in, it's showing that the police know more. And then there's a whole like uh, like police brutality, like protest thing that that's where the episode sort of ends off at. But it's this whole like thing where they're like talking about police brutality and they like just shot someone in broad daylight on the middle of the mm-hmm. street. And they just sort of like don't get like, hey, it's a zombie. It's going <laughs> to murder you. It's not police brutality, but it's also, it's kind of interesting to see that, how that's going to color the fact that that's probably going to be one of the factors of why society falls is yeah. because people aren't going to believe it. They're just going to see police brutality because that's the world we're in now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to see that. Well, and- also the people who are supposed to protect him are already planning to protect themselves. So yeah. everyone's going to be fend for themselves and... As opposed to like a, a World War Z where like everyone band together and they had like armies against the, the zombies and stuff. Yeah. And this was more like everyone just tries to go and protect themselves. Yeah, and that's and why family. everyone is basically dead at, at, by the time we get to uh, when Rick wakes up. Yeah. Uh, uh, a month. It's like a month. The 
the comedy side of me was kind of feeling in the in the since you haven't seen it in the pilot they show footage of a of like police shooting a dude and him getting up and like attacking him and things like that and people are like Hilarious. what the fuck mm-hmm. no i'm Hilarious. saying the comedy part of me is just like <laughs> i wish the little thing under for the, like the news said something about high on bath salts or something where they like maybe tried to blame because uh, mm-hmm. that shit happened where someone's like got attacked because mm-hmm. zombie like because they were high on bath salts. oh yeah that guy in miami who ate the yeah. Other person's face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. i was kind of hoping that would be a little but he no, wasn't on bath salts. Bath no. salts? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. I also didn't care for Calgon blamed. I didn't b- care for the pilot because I was recognizing places. Yeah, like right. I know where that church is. And you I didn't know- like that though. I love that. No, because it's like now we're watching the fall of the place I live at. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to witness that. So now you know what to do. Next true. Now I know how to get out. <laughs> Next time you're at you know one of those coffee shops nearby, clean you're up, just looking. Clean around. up off the junk, Trevor. Okay, strain yourself out. We don't want you going through withdrawals yeah, when don't it starts. Do it. We saw how that works out. Okay. <laughs> Go get me some smack in the school, man. <laughs> the, oh, the other thing I didn't like was I felt like there were so many metaphors or so many examples that were super on the nose, like this specific book that he was teaching in his class about survival and doing whatever. I mean, there was just so many instances or like the book that um, when they went back to the the church where he was getting high and she found his book. The book is about a man experiencing loneliness and desperation. It's like, oh, come on. I'm cool that with that. No, I, I'm cool with that because um, I'm sure that comes across uh, our faces more and we don't realize it because we don't foreshadow and shit like that. But what I didn't like was the kid. Um, the drug kid or which No, kid? the, the, the like uh, teenager, the, the school kid who snuck his knife into school. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his little he, letter opener. Uh, and yeah. Well, that actually zombies. comes up in the second episode. We're like, man, I ain't going to kill nobody. Um, Did but, he kill somebody? I was really hoping you would in the pilot. No. In, in the second episode, he attempts to with his little thing thing. Oh, I can't um, wait to see that. That makes me happy. But, like, he's telling her, oh, it's going to go down like this and this and this. Like, this kid doesn't fucking know yeah. already, <laughs> all right? This kid was, like, 16, and he was just like, the fall of mankind is going to happen fast, <laughs> and and it's going to do this, and they're not going to tell us until it's too late, and everyone's going to die, and there's going to be a few of us. Like, how did it, no, you don't know. This kid cannot possibly know that. And the second episode, he sneaks back into the school to steal all of the uh, lunch supplies because he knows that he needs to apparently do this already i've seen 28 days later like 200 times chris that doesn't exist in this world okay <laughs> yeah, because they don't reels. use the word zombie yeah well do the they do they walker? even say what year this is no. or is it just whatever i mean technically the walking dead comic book is taking place 2006 yeah 2006 2007 okay yeah i had no idea yeah um, so it's kind of like whenever this starts is when it's happening. So I think this probably took place in like 2009. Mm-hmm. But also it seems like they're being a little... Well, I don't like, know. Uh, the kid took out um, like an actual video camera and said he just used his phone. So I'm thinking... Uh, maybe it is 2009. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls out his camera with a handheld like flash bulb that burns out after one shot. No, it's like a little... The handheld ones you make uh, sex tapes with. Those yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like nice. The ones with like night vision on it. The Ray J exclusives. Um, no, no. This is one night in Paris type. <laughs> oh, very okay. nice. Night with night vision. vision. Uh, <laughs> and then and then like he gets a call on his cell phone and then he answers his cell phone. And I, and I, like, I kind of thought about it for a second. Like he, he's, he was walking around with a little 
little video camera and stuff. So I don't know. It has. I mean, if it's my guess, it's probably like yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And my my other question. I don't mean to be on this for so long, but my other question to you guys is just in general. You know, the critics came out basically calling this a missed opportunity for the pilot. My question is the first season six episodes. And so obviously the showrunners with kind of how they structured the first one and everything, obviously they have a narrative for the first season. Mm -hmm. Do we think, do we think that people are quick to jump on the, whether or not it does well, do you think the whole binge watching and streaming, putting all the episodes at once, do we think that uh, affects how critics are just ready to call it bad or good right away when maybe you almost should stick around and see how the first season rolls out? That's so every everybody always judges the first episode, and then mm. by the time the the rest of the season comes around, mm. they're just like, okay, now that I can look at this as a whole, I can see that this was actually one hour of a six hour story. Yeah, and so I think that just happens to everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think, and it and it already has gotten better between episode one and episode two, and I think, yeah, probably that's what's going to happen. It's also just six episodes, so mm-hmm. it's not like an insane binge watch, right? Um, so yeah, probably that'll happen. You'll see some people change their mm-hmm. tune. I, either way. But at the end of the season, people would just be like, you know what? At the beginning, I was really on board. But then the stories yeah. that they were telling or the first one, I was really kind of signed off on it. But then when I saw the scope they were doing it, and oh, my gosh, it's so bad. Yeah, that's, you know, with my complaints about the pilot, I still was like, I'm going to kind of reserve my judgment until I see the whole first season. Yeah. Um, Which everyone should do. They really guys. should. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fuck, I forgot Brian was here. Yeah. All right. So, so even though... Only one of us has seen Compton. Um, there Shit. is since since it did so well. There's discussions of a sequel because, of course, it did well. So they're mm. wanting to turn this into a franchise. And the sequel is going to be about Snoop Dogg's story LBC. and mm-hmm. about his old dog pound yeah. story. Dog so, pound. That's why uh, I wanted to talk about Straight to Compton again because I don't think I mentioned it on the last episode where it's it's a long movie. It's like two and a half hours long. Wow. But I was I wanted more. Like I wish they had like deleted scenes on the DVD that I could watch more. Because like at the end it, they kind they disband as NWA. So I want to see they can't they can't like show everyone's story into completion. Like where Ice Cube goes, where Dr. Dre goes, and all that. Because <laughs> eventually we're gonna see like like Ice Cube making like Are we there yet? Yeah. <laughs> like, follow his story all the way. Doctor Doctor Dre, I heard about this white guy in Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> let me hear that fool. Yeah, like they they end the movie. There's it's not really a spoiler, but they end the movie with Doctor Dre leaving Suge Knight to create aftermath, which we know he. Right, I was gonna say it's not really a spoiler when it actually happened. It, yeah, <laughs> it's real life it's history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's why like the, it's not a spoiler. I think the sequels does. to these movies could just be Wikipedia. Yeah, looking up each individual. Yeah, what no, well, Snoop, Snoop's a good choice because there's a lot of artists that were surrounded by Snoop, like you going to Nate. Mm-hmm. Warren G, uh, yeah. Daz, corrupt. Like there's like a huge amount of uh, relevant artists. Yeah. that could do that, and then you can even bring in. Oh man. I'd love to see like some early E40 and be legit, make some for too short would be awesome. Uh, but I also heard that there was um, already a Pac movie in the making. Isn't uh, it's uh, John Singleton? Oh yeah, with uh, Mike Epps. Is nope. that the one? No, I think Mike Epps is doing Richard Pryor. Yeah, my bad. Other uh, black guy. Um, but I think John Singleton uh, was doing a movie about Pac already. Oh. Uh. Um, but I don't know. So maybe I they'll want, redo it to to mix story. in with this whole. Maybe they'll do their own universe, <laughs> shared like universe. A, I mean, Marvel it universe happens all the time. Yeah, it's fucking tight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cool. awesome, man. Yeah. 
two separate Steve Jobs movies, two mm. separate. I mean, that mm. just happens all the time. Um, what year uh, did NWA break up? Like, what year? What year does it end in? I, I I don't remember like early mid nineties. Yeah, I was gonna say. say. Yeah, like yes. ninety four, ninety five, or something like that. Yeah, because then probably ninety four. They don't, they don't go. Well, they kind of go into Dre's like solo album, but I don't think they mentioned the Chronic. So I don't know when that came out. But they they show him like meeting up with Snoop and doing all that, and then uh, working with Tupac. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wish like that'd be cool if like they just continued the story straight from when Dr. Dre leaves to go to Aftermath and whatever Ice Cube does, because they also like kind of go over like what ice cube does like he's writing friday the movie friday oh yeah like in the movie in strata compton he's writing like on his little like shitty computer he's writing the script <laughs> for friday <laughs> with the same director too f gary gray oh man we're gonna see yeah. last friday yeah. is that gonna actually ca- finally happening i, I saw hope. a picture but i didn't know if that was Shit, just made up i don't know that'd be cool no that's i mean that's made a picture it. but you i call it last friday yeah no they need they mm. need to do that i'm trying to say or that. good <laughs> friday <laughs> <laughs> nah but that's just what you call the first one um okay. but i was gonna say something um oh yeah we get to see chris tucker get recast this is like that's what's cool about it it's like history like yeah uh, like showing history like i was too young for all this to happen so mm-hmm. i didn't know what was going yeah. on but it's cool to see a story and hopefully it's legit. I know they left some stuff out like Dre beating his wife and being some other woman because I don't know. Because it's unpleasant. Yeah. But, because uh, he's one of the producers so they're not going to yeah. show that element. But also like if it doesn't fit in a two hour story like it doesn't have to be in there. Like yeah. it, it's not about Dre. It's about NWA. Yeah. And it's about it's e- easy story too because like it shows him from the beginning to him dying at the end. So I I think this movie was easy story. That's my Thoughts. Yeah, cool and good. He deserved a, a movie and a story yeah. about him, and I'm 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 glad it was done well, man. It was good, and yeah. I didn't say that last time too. That he's a good actor in the movie, the guy who played yeah. Easy. Good, he's good. good. And last but not least, this just recently happened. Uh, Marvel's Kevin Feige has. We need to find out how you pronounce his last name. I think name. it's Feige. It's I've Feige. heard that on. It's Feige. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what did you think it was? You thought it was Feige. 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 No, it's Feige. Um, he, his, his successful track record, uh, totally has migrated the way that Marvel films is being run. Uh, recently he, apparently he was so unhappy with reporting to the Marvel CEO, Ike, that he kind of made some moves. So now he, he, uh, reports directly to Alan Horn, the head of Disney and the Marvel creative brain trust is no more. So yeah. for the films, um, which is huge. Weren't they the reason why uh, Edgar Wright left Ant-Man? They, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, I, mean, I was reading some some stuff about it, and apparently one of the biggest issues is the fact that like it, it stopped filmmakers from kind of putting their stamp on it, which can be a good or a bad thing. But one of the issues that was infuriating is sometimes the creative trust, because all of those guys are doing all other things, so it's hard for them to kind of come together. Their notes would be late. Mm-hmm. which if you're making a film it's like well shit you know we still kind of have to have to have these moving um the 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 changes with everything that won't be felt in civil war or doctor strange because all that stuff's already either shooting or in development but it'll be interesting to see how the other phase three films roll out with this new um with this new mandate or new status quo because what's crazy is apparently the the head of marvel is super frugal and super just kind of almost Howard Hughes level weird. And for the Iron Man premiere, he showed up in disguise. Because, hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, people are going to be like, never mind Robert Downey Jr. Let's talk to Ike. 
Um, and also at one of the press junkets, he was complaining how the reporters were getting two cans of soda instead of just one. Ooh. Um, just so this whole frugal yeah. micromanaging yeah. stuff, apparently they're off brand sodas too. <laughs> <laughs> apparently Kula. Kevin, RC, yeah. Kevin was like really upset about it and was really working hard to kind of get this shift. And I mean, I think it's great. I think if it's going to allow filmmakers to have more, license and more oh and that was the other reason why what's her name um that was originally going to direct the dark world the thor movie mm. she left patty jenkins mm. i think was her name um but just yeah a lot i mean just there's a lot of different rumbling same thing with joss whedon he was complaining about the creative brain trust or whatever um and i mean i i like how all the movies kind of have a distinct flair but yet fall in line with the marvel mm. universe and I, I don't – I'm sure the creative trust was there for a reason, and I'm sure that that helped out a lot. But I, I feel – I'm not worried about it at this point. I feel like with 12 movies in, I really just feel like any filmmaker that comes in knows kind of what to do to kind of keep it aligned. But they now have more freedom to do well, what they want to the do. The creative – like their brain trust thing it seems more like it's training wheels. Like Because, yeah, I mean, you know for, yeah. for it – I mean – you can see that the worst of it is all the prologue for other movie stuff of Avengers 2. Or like Iron Man 2 where it was... Well, Iron yeah. Man 2 was also... That was another writer's strike right. bullshit thing. So that's <laughs> another thing. Um, and I mean, Justin Thoreau, he gets one good picture and it was Traffic Thunder. Um, <laughs> but um, but it's like... But they give they give us... Um, like the Rain Trust gave us like the, the post-credit Iron Man thing with Sam Jackson. Like, mm -hmm. that was them. And yeah. so it's like, and that's like the thing we all freak out about with the original Marvel movies. Like, the first ones is like, holy shit, did you see that? And that's where their benefit yeah. is. And then the weakness of it is like all the stuff that the bureaucratic was just all the, East, all the Easter egg stuff for future movies. Like, yeah. that's what the problem a lot of people felt with like Avengers Age of Ultron mm -hmm. is just that it, this is prologue yeah. to movies we haven't seen yet yeah. and just set up for stuff that we could possibly come to pass but we don't know and we don't aren't invested and so that's yeah. the double-edged sword of this brain trust is they gave us a lot of really cool stuff and a lot of focused on like the source material stuff and then they also like went insane with their power so the it's almost time. like they did so well that they made themselves obsolete you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain <laughs> oh shit we're crossing brands here <laughs> yeah. but but yeah i think but at this time marvel is such a well-oiled machine that i don't think they're gonna worry about some rogue agent coming yeah. in and giving them some shitty film that in no way lines up with yeah. the marvel it's kind of like you know any director coming into pixar is gonna know what pixar is supposed well, to what pixar other, film is supposed mm, to be so yeah. that's the other thing is they have have Marvel and Disney have two other examples to look at as to how they're running things, and that's Pixar and Lucasfilms. Yeah, like they are on those two brands are on par with what Marvel's doing, and how their their success and their how they're run and operated gives Marvel and Disney an idea of how they should be operating yeah. and working together. And I think, like, I mean, Pixar's kind of run with a. Uh, brain trust it but it's all yeah. run with all the top people all top and Pixar this was people. like yeah and the brain trust in marvel was people within marvel but it was like it was like bendis mm -hmm. and like all this stuff and the thing with it the why it's exciting is because marvel needs a producer like feige yeah because oh, God, yeah before they had avia rad and he wasn't he's the reason why stuff got sold off well, not, <laughs> right. he's, i don't know if he's no. the reason yeah. but it's he was the I one manning the ship yeah the ship during that time 
and um and they need somebody like Feige more so than they need somebody like the brain trust, the people in the brain trust. Mm-hmm. They need a producer yeah. who can make these films and make them marketable and that's what they need they don't need some they don't need the brain trust anymore so that, i think it's a good thing i think it's gonna be really exciting to see mm-hmm. where it moves forward we can see how, we can also see like how much they really were encumbering filmmakers after dr strange yeah because now you can just i don't know it's gonna be really interesting anybody mm-hmm. else want to chime in no all right mm-hmm. So let's get into the film while we're here. Pulp Fiction, I believe, 1994. Yes, 94. Yes, 94. Yeah. Let's go around real quick. Just quick what we thought about it. <laughs> real and, quick. Well, no, I'm just saying we'll get into it, but we don't need to do a full analysis right now. And then also, what you, would you rename it if you had to? Um, yeah. This is fucking one of my favorite movies mm. ever. Um, it's amazing and wonderful. And I'd call it Tijuana Bible. <laughs> the other name I came up with it is Tijuana Bible. Right. Uh, it's good it's great it's a perfect movie like there's it's a masterpiece for a guy who was in his 30s it's great it's for a, a second film yeah it's awesome it's yeah i couldn't say anything bad about it i could but there's not it's good i would just call it hitman yeah. i'm agree with these two sons of bitches right here and say that it was a fucking perfect movie uh one of my favorites uh amazing i mean yeah like you said it for a guy in a series to do a fucking masterpiece like this is is crazy i would call it uh tales to astonish <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah i thought it was great uh when i first saw it in high school i hated it um but but that i mean once again i was high school i was mm. not as smart as i thought i was square uh, <laughs> and i still i still think <laughs> yeah i like that i still think Django and um inglorious bastards are better well, yeah, but he's just getting better. No, but that's the, that's the thing, though. That's the yeah. thing, though. Like, but then rewatching this, I'm like, holy shit! Like, this is a visionary showing from the start. Because I love Reservoir Dogs too, mm-hmm. and he knows his voice. He knows how to make a compelling story, and he knows complete. Like, it's really I didn't appreciate it when I was younger, but it's so fucking hard to have all these completely different characters with different personalities come kind of coming together and kind of interweave and create this. I mean, there definitely there's a couple of characters where I'm like, that's Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. That's his voice, right? Yeah, there. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, well, the, the Eric, Eric Stoltz character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so much, I mean, a lot of them, um, a lot, a lot of this, Jimmy. a lot of the speeches, some of them, I'm like, all right, that was just him recording himself and then mm-hmm. typing it down. But, um, but no, I thought, I thought it was absolutely great and it's yeah. Amazing. And if I had to rename it, I would rename it whatever you want it to mean. Mm. Just because like with the briefcase mm-hmm. and the light, whenever Tartito's asked what was in there, that's what he says. What do you guys think it is? What What is the theory that you latched on? The theory that I like is his soul. Mm-hmm. I, I like yeah. that. I think yeah. it's really interesting. And it's mm-hmm. obviously there is some sort of... Marcellus, Marcellus, Marcellus Wallace's yeah. soul. And I think there's obviously some sort of... There, there's a hidden supernatural element to this film. Mm. Um, yeah, and kind of all Tarantino's film kind of have a little bit of fantasy mixed in. Like, obviously, mm. this isn't the real world. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I think that's... It, it, little metaphysical stuff is that's what I think. I think it's the most interesting yeah. choice. Um, that's the one I, I first heard. Like, I, I saw this, I think, when I was 10. And then I asked my dad, well, what was in the uh, the thing? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, they say, and he told me this grand story about how it was the soul and he took it back and the 666 and the thing. And so I never showed it. Yeah. And it blew my fucking mind. I was like, that is probably the coolest thing that could have been in there. 
was mm. his soul. Yeah. And that's the one I've, I've always liked over the years. Mm. And the or, Band-Aid solidifies that theory. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's where the devil took out Marcellus Wallace's soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they say that that's, that's in like whatever's whatever book, uh, that that's where the devil's supposed to take it out. It was right in the back of the I think that's in the Bible. Bible. A book. I said a book. Yeah, yeah. It could have been <laughs> any book. It's wrong. wrong. The book. <laughs> I didn't read it, okay? Um... But yeah, I also like, uh, I heard another one where it could have been the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just to tie it I, all was, in together would be that cool. That one takes hold because I think that's the original, that the original draft. Plan. The original draft of the script yeah. was for it to be the diamonds. But mm-hmm. they didn't want to do that twice in a film, so that's why they never Oh yeah, was it. it supposed to be diamonds in general or specifically the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs? No, diamonds Dog? in general. Yeah. Uh, but I've like, heard the theory that it was it. supposed to be the same. Yeah. I like that one too. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be literally the same. Yeah, it wasn't even his diamonds. idea to put the light in there. That was just that- one. It was either the, the prop person or uh, the set designer was the one that put the light yeah. in, the, in the briefcase. Mm-hmm. Good fucking goal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, because they wanted to make it visually interesting to be looking into a suit like a briefcase. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you have nothing, if it's just sitting there, you're just looking at yeah, it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it would have had the same impact. You wouldn't care had, what's in yeah. it. You're like, oh, what's just that glowing like, thing? Ugh, yeah. for, just tell me what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> None of this MacGuffin bullshit. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's all he wanted it to be. It's just a MacGuffin. It's just a, yeah. pro, it's just yeah. a prop to move the story yeah. forward. Because but that light made it kind of compelling. Like, what is that? Mm, yeah. yeah. What is it? Mm-hmm. All right, let's, let's do this. Let's dig into it. What do, what um, do people have to... Well, I thought it was cool is this is kind of... The conclusion to a like a loose trilogy of Tarantino stuff, like it's like his crime trilogy. Yeah, because the first film he had was True, True Romance, Romance, which he wrote, um, and it's much more of an adaptation than his story by credit for Natural Born Killers, because hmm. he has a story by credit oh, for that I didn't film. Know that. But yeah. Oliver Stone, that's so, not Tarantino. Yeah, at yeah, all. yeah. Oliver Stone so made it his own yeah. thing that yeah. it's just basically WGA rules that he got. The story by credit kind of thing. But yeah, he did True Romance, and that was a full adaptation that I don't know if he chose not to direct or if he was asked not to direct or anything, but he was saying that um, it was Ridley Scott who did that one, right? Or the Tone, other. Tony Scott? Yeah, Tony Scott. Oh, Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so. him. Yeah, he did the, um, he directed that. And Tarantino said that was a very faithful adaptation to his script. Mm-hmm. And so that's connected to Reservoir Dogs. And then Reservoir Dogs is connected to Pulp Fiction. So it's like this loose trilogy of crime stories. And this one seemed to be like the most... Um, well, I like how Tim Roth was Mr. Orange in Reservoir Dogs. And in this, he was called Pumpkin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never put that together. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, it kind of seems like maybe he got out of it. Mm-hmm. Or like this is like, like, that's like the spirit of like his criminal... Yeah. identity whatever he was supposed to be as mr orange well I and i love like, i love tarantino no, i mean orange kind of dead. going back oh, yeah obviously oh right. totally i love going back and seeing different tarantino films and seeing the little easter eggs or connections he does to all of his films i mean i love how what was it the fox five or something the, fox force five yeah that is the character she describes those are the characters from kill bill and i thought well that they say really kill cool. bill is a movie in this universe yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so, yeah, so Kill Bill is an adaptation too. of Fox. No, like, that's Tarantino. I said, oh, he said that? He okay. said some of his films are, like, movie movies. Mm-hmm. They're the movies that his characters go that's see. awesome. And I think it's like that. And that can also lead to having more fantastical stuff where it's like, well, it's a movie within a movie. It's, it's anything that has Earl McGraw, the guy, the sheriff who's in Kill Bill and who is also in uh, Death Proof and Planet Terror. Any film with Best him in Dawn. it. Yeah, and for Resto Dawn, those are movie movies. 
that's like the way you right. can kind of tell yeah. is anything with Earl McGraw is the that's cool um yeah well here's one thing because they were you mentioned that they're kind of talking about the shared history and kind of how this is a violent society and I remember people kind of talking about well if these are all shared universe stuff then that would explain like this reverence for pop culture and this more openly violent um society yeah. could be attributed to the fact that Adolf Hitler was murdered by like hitmen um in a movie theater. Yeah. And like a Not very, just like, even murdered, eviscerated by yeah, bullets. Yeah. And, and so they <laughs> they were saying like that w- like lays the foundation of this world. Like that's where you can have people who like that's where you Reservoir Dogs opens up with Tarantino giving his dissertation about like a virgin. Yeah. And and people also like aren't getting tripped up with the pop culture references. There's right. never any mention of like, who the fuck is that? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're talking no, about those fucking are Madonna. Iconic. Yeah. And even like, what's his face? Um, Joe Turney, who plays um, the mob boss. He's just like going along with it too. He's just sitting there and not like, what are you fucking talking about Madonna? It's like this whole pop culture thing. But also I was thinking about it. And there's a the whole thing with Tar- uh, with Ezekiel 25, 17. And how that's like, that's not actually really a biblical quote. Right. It's mostly um, a Sunny Chiba speech from like Street Fighter or something like that. But I was thinking about it and it's like, well, if we go so far as to explain like this violent society is based, predicated on the like the way Inglorious Bastards end. And then you can also see the past even further with Django. Mm-hmm. We'll see it even more with Hateful Eight. But it's also like, if the, if this is a world where that Bible quote, where that scripture quote exists... If that actually is twenty five Ezekiel twenty five seventeen in that world, that would also explain the violent nature because that's a thousands of year old book, right? And so violent and so like visceral that I think this is like Tarantino is saying like from the get go, this is an insanely violent world, and people have just come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it's sort of interesting. Like this shared universe helps expand upon that. Like you see the history of it, and you can kind of see like, oh, this is the human nature of Tarantino's world. Isn't that so? I just think it's great. Or what are you gonna say? I was just. Uh, I would like to see uh, a Vince and Vic Vega show on El Rey. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, well, Michael Madsen's be- character in Reservoir Dogs and Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction, which mm-hmm. is ironic, seeing as how Vince was written specifically for Michael Madsen. It was supposed to be Vic Vega. I thought. Like original, like originally, oh, wait, originally. It was supposed to be the same character. Yeah, kind of the same oh, way. I didn't the, know that. Well, kind of the same way the diamonds were the, the uh, Reservoir Dog diamonds. He was supposed Vin, Vince Vega was supposed to be Vic mm, Vega, mm. or like it was supposed to be Madsen. It was going to be twin brothers or something. Yeah, because like Madsen yeah. ended up doing a different Wyatt movie. Earp. Yeah, he ended up choosing yeah. Wyatt Earp instead of this movie. Yeah. Which I don't blame him because that was directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah. Who did all the Star Wars movies? Yeah. But, I'm sure the paycheck was bigger. Yeah, but no one would have known Tarantino. This little kid, 30 years old, would make yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah, mm-hmm. even if the script is awesome, like no one would have guessed. Well, but even yeah, Madsen's been pretty loyal to him, regardless. Uh-huh. Like it seemed like that was the only. Yeah, time, I mean, it didn't. Uh, I didn't feel like, like that then, ever caused any bad blood between mm-hmm. the two of them or yeah, anything. He's losing kill yeah, no, bills. He's, just, he's gonna be in hateful. It's a professional yeah. thing. So yeah, yeah. 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 But it's also it gave us it gave us Travolta, and I think yeah. that's a different that's such a different shade to that same character. Yeah, this was Travolta's comeback film before his other comeback films. <laughs> oh, yeah, that dancing uh, said it all off. Yeah. I looked I looked up what he was doing before this movie. It was like those look who's talking, look who's yeah, talking yeah. to, and all that. And then yeah, that was the height of the drinking. That. Yeah. <laughs> then he comes back and does this, which his performance is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. 
like you see little like subtleties of him like oh he's high mm-hmm. like when i was younger i didn't pick it up i was like oh he's just a weird guy but like no like just like the little like la- hello yeah <laughs> yeah the little lazy eyes blinking or just like giggling like oh he's been on heroin this whole time mm-hmm. and that's him doing that and it's just really good mm-hmm. also i want to talk um why would you do heroin before picking up your murderous boss's wife he's an addict yeah, I think but he, I, I, he's, I, I, no. Okay, so so let's get some real talk here. Mm-hmm. Okay, after a certain amount of time doing heroin, you don't do heroin to get high. You do it to break level even. out. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's an addict. So, so that's so he has to do yeah. that to function. Okay, mm-hmm. that's why you got to the end of the madman. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, that is dangerous. <laughs> I'm going to be as sober as hell doing that. So that's yeah. why he was a little bit high when he was driving, but then mm. he was pretty much level once, well, for him, level once he picked her up. There's a theory, too, of uh, that heroin causes constipation. Which oh, is why, why which is always in the bathroom shit. like all well, the time. <laughs> there's a whole thing. There's a whole thing about how Vincent's life is basically determined by three shits. Oh yeah! In this film, like every time he's in the bathroom, every time he's in the bathroom, happens. something he comes back. The way I he- I heard it worded was um, when uh, Vincent comes out of the bathroom, like he's faced with death. Mm. And so, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I hadn't considered like the heroin <laughs> aspect of it. That yeah, he's constipated and he's like coming down, so he's got to take a shit. Because <laughs> they talk about that too in uh, <laughs> that's so great in Train Spotting. They talk about that. That's why the oh, whole oh really yeah the I haven't whole, seen the movie forever. Yeah. The whole scene with him and like the toilet Shitting and, every, and, the, and the, the the shittiest toilet in Scotland. <laughs> that's because he's coming down from heroin uh, and he's and he says like it's you get constipated so when you're coming down like that's it's like the it's first either thing. now or never, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so he shoots out the suppository pills that he has. Um, and he has to go get him. Yeah, and that's why he has the whole thing in water and like comes out of the toilet. I need to rewatch that movie. So it's good. fucking phenomenal. And the book's amazing too. That the book the book is it's hard to that, read though. Yeah, it's it's, a, so it's like reading like Clockwork Orange. I was just gonna say it's the same thing where it's <laughs> written in the way that they speak, mm, and, the, um, and they yeah. all have thick ass Scottish. Thick. <laughs> um, is that Brogue? Is that the? Is that the? No, that's, who wrote it? No, no, no. Welsh. The the Burgess? type of the oh. the type of thick Irish speak. I don't know. I feel like Scottish speak. Anyway. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Everyone knows when you speak really thick Irish, it's Scottish. Um, but they, they are Scottish. But there's a... Uh, is, are they? That's they're right. in Scotland. Fuck. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's why they're like, what, he's yeah. really doubling Shit. down on this Irish yeah. thing. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, um, no, it's in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, they that whole scene with you and McGregor. It's like, we're fucking wankers. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> we been... We couldn't even get conquered It's been good. way, way too long since I've seen it. It's so good. Um... I going back to the 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 band aid on the back of Ving mm-hmm. Rhames, um neck. I love the actual story behind it because you have the theory where mm-hmm. it's like that's where his soul comes out. Comes I love days. how <laughs> simple it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ving came to the meeting with Tarantino with a band aid because he cut himself shaving, and Tarantino's like, you know what? I actually find that more interesting than showing his face in most of the scenes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, like to me that didn't spoil because it does make sense with like the soul and everything, but that is also an awesome like trivia was like that's fucking that's tarantino just having this vision like he's meeting with someone to talk about a part and he's like you know what this is gonna make the movie better like i just that's well, his so whole big willing, picture stuff he's so, so willing to compromise awesome. and he's so willing to collaborate with his people but i love that that he can step away from his vision and be like how can i make this work and make it even better because mm-hmm. it does like it wouldn't have been as interesting 
that initial conversation with Willis in the movie wouldn't have been as interesting just to see single shots of each of their faces. Like the fact yeah. that he's talking to him and you're seeing Willis's reaction while you're just looking at the back of his head, like that, that like you're like, whoa. So what? the band, wait, it was the band aid that convinced him to shoot from the back? Yeah. He he wasn't just going to shoot well, from he was the gonna, back for, without for the, the back with Willis, but just to never show Vingram's face during that scene. Oh, yeah. That's because of the Band-Aid. That's oh. why he did that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I thought just, that would make it much more interesting for the character. But it's also so... I love the fact that the first time he's revealed, like, he's such an imposing figure. Yeah. Is he's when he so, gets hit by the car? The but donuts. He, yeah. He just sits <laughs> yeah. with the box of donuts and he's yeah. got his two coffees on yeah. top. Which, which I... Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I don't agree with because if he's a hitman, he wouldn't be getting his own donuts. If he's like a mob boss, I thought about that. And <laughs> I want to hear this. I'm no, so excited. It's because the, he's not going to be the one pulling the trigger. You need to leave the gun there. Well, and so one of them wanted to go get food. So he's just going back to fucking. What, what do you mean? He's going back to Bruce Willis's saying, place. Yeah, he said he was there oh, with. Oh, so he was with John Travolta. Yeah, he yeah. was oh, okay. with John Travolta. Yeah, he was just waiting. And so that's why he uh, went to get him because Travolta has to stay there in case. Bruce Bruzilla shows up. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I thought about yeah because it was just like, why the fuck is he getting his own stuff? Okay, so he's also being Rames. He can go get his own motherfucking donuts <laughs> if he wants. <laughs> it is like you, you don't see his face until what, like an hour or something into the movie because you just yeah. see the back of the band aid yeah. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a, it's so fun. It's a big pink box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so emasculating for this imposing figure. No, that's my favorite scene. <laughs> I kept doing this to Chris, Brian. You should find this out. I can I can find you the YouTube video for it, but. Like the time I crack up every single time is after after the car wreck mm-hmm. where Ving Ram gets hit and he like gets up. That's one thing that total side note. That's one thing that adds credence to like he has no soul. Mm. Is they say like oh he's definitely dead. Is because like he has no soul, so he's just like he doesn't have signs of life. Basically, yeah. So he doesn't have signs of life, and so uh-huh. they, that's that was one of the like throwaway lines that they mm. say like adds credence to the it's his soul. And what the, Kathy Griffin said, yeah, yeah, he's definitely dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kathy Griffin yeah. is the one who perpetuates he has no soul. Yeah. But when he's getting up and sh- shambling over to Bruce Willis yeah. and then pulls out his gun and just shoots that like standby woman <laughs> in the just hip, a- in the hip, and it's just like bang, ah, <laughs> just complaining that for Chris. <laughs> Because it's just so fun. It's just yeah. so mean. Yeah. It's just like, it is. He did nothing to deserve that. <laughs> and he's it's not so tr- fucking funny. <laughs> he's not I know this to, this yeah. film is so violent, but that was just unnecessary. <laughs> well, another thing, this movie is hilarious. Like, yeah. Oh, it's so like, funny. Man. It's the, one of the funniest movies ever. Like they even they just have like strong comedic beats. Like in the mm-hmm. beginning when they're talking about the Royale with cheese and all that crap, and then he's like, "Oh, what do they call a Whopper?" He's like, "I don't know. I didn't go to Burger King." <laughs> yeah, that's so great. <laughs> Yeah, like, there's so many get just... Get the shot! <laughs> get the shot! <laughs> and there's just so many funny moments that kind of don't come out of nowhere. Like this, hey. the whole ass watch speech. Yeah. Where it's just this whole serious thing. And then he just deadpan talks about where he's hidden this watch. I'm yeah. like, oh my God. There's a point when... Uh, Christopher Walken's giving that speech where he stops being the character and starts being Christopher Walken. Walken. And it's right about the time where he gets racist. They changed the the filming of it. The cut. The cut cut of it. Like a a medium shot of like, you see his legs. Yeah, he's like sitting there and it's like a very like, when when the speech, before, when the speech is just like the history of the watch. And just like your great grandfather Dane Coolidge, no, it's that's his grandfather. But right. yeah, it's like a close up. It's very, it's very intimate. But it's like shot like any other like sort of like family drama. And then when it goes into the 
this hunk of job <laughs> up my he'd be, ass. He'd be damned if you let any get the greasy jelly hands on his boy's birthright. And it's like I did not know up. you could do that ex- or that impression. Oh, I'm going to make walk-ins. you do it all the time. Uh, I got walk-ins. <laughs> I didn't know you could do the Brando one. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody. <laughs> but yeah, they like st- it becomes like almost like a Silence of the Lamb, like down the lens mm-hmm. sort of shot. Where he's just like looking at <laughs> yeah. the camera, and like yeah. yeah, that's the transition where he becomes like Christopher Walken, and even like his delivery of it too. Mm-hmm. Like he goes full walking because before it's like this is the this is the reason he's an Academy Award winner yeah. in the he, beginning. Father's watch and he loved it to his boy, and then then uh, man with the name of Wanaki, and then <laughs> Wanaki kept his word, and then he, and he never met before, and then he even, and then he gave me the watch. Like what? <laughs> when did this character just come from Brooklyn all of a sudden? Yeah, no, it's super funny. By the way, just this week I rewatched for the billionth time Seven Psychopaths. That's a good one. And <laughs> his speech at the end, where he's talking in the tape recorder, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite walking speeches ever. Yeah. By the way, oh, no, oh you I can't do it. Shit, I can't do it. <laughs> That's but the whole the, thing about um, like I don't think they like being called fags. Mm-hmm. He's like, I think they, I think they prefer homos. Like, just the fact he's like, of course they don't. That's so <laughs> offensive. Why? Oh, here you go. Yeah, no, seeing that movie. Uh, Made me think that Rockwell would have made a good Deadpool. Yes, I love Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great actor. Mm-hmm. He's so um, good when he's telling his whole story about like at the campfire. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. Sorry. Um, I was gonna say I saw another. Uh, I saw a speech, an amazing Tarantino speech delivered to Christopher Walken with the uh, the Dennis Hopper Moore's speech. Have you from True Romance? Oh, I haven't. I haven't oh, seen he has an amazing speech. We're basically so. Dennis Hopper plays Christian Slater's dad. Christian Slater and um, Patricia Arquette. Yeah, right. It's Patricia Arquette. No, no, no. It's not Patricia Arquette. It was whoever was on Medium. Um, oh, Rosanna. 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 Okay. And Alexis Arquette's in this movie no, wait, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna. That was yeah. Friday. Um, yeah, whoever the Arquette is, who's not the one with all the shit in her face. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Rosanna in the movie. Yeah. Pr- so Patricia Arquette is the one in True yeah. Romance. Yeah. God, there's so many goddamn Arquettes. There's so many Arquettes. <laughs> they're harder to tell apart than like the Baldwins. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why Trey Parker and Matt Stone had them in the South Park yeah. movie. Um, you want Billy's numbers, stupid. <laughs> but um, but it's this whole thing where um. Christopher Walken plays a mob boss that um, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette have unintentionally like stolen from. All they wanted to do was rescue her from her pimp, who's Gary Oldman, and they kill him. And then Christian Slater leaves his ID. And so Christopher Walken shows up at Dennis, Dennis Hopper's house and just like, you got to tell me where your boy is. You got to tell me because he robbed from me. And like, we're going to I like, I fucking know if you're lying. Because he has this whole thing about he's Sicilian and how a man has 20 tells um to tell if he's uh, no a man has 17 ways you can tell so you can tell he's lying a woman has 20 don't ask him how like that's his whole thing um but he's talking about how he's like he's like a, a human lie detector and so dennis hopper like tries to get around it and he realizes that he's it's true, it's true. and so he decides what he's going to do is piss him off to the point he's going to kill him <laughs> so that's his way around not talking as dennis hopper just sacrifices himself to Christopher Walken and how he does it is he has this whole speech about how the Sicilians are descendants of the Moors and drops some, some mad N-words in this mm-hmm. speech um, talking about how they're um, just basically just being super racist and talking about um, how the Sicilians are basically the descendants of Negroes mm-hmm. and just like um, it's fucking phenomenal speech 
She's like talking, like, I watch, I read a bunch of books. I find that shit fascinating. And it's just like doing a total Dennis Hopper and just like pisses off Christopher Walken to the point that he just shoots him. I yeah. gotta rewatch. That. I haven't yeah. seen it forever. I remember That's loving it, but yeah. I just don't remember anything about it. Yeah, because he's like, tell me, he's like, his last thing, he's like smoking a cigarette. He's just like, so tell me, am I lying? That's like the end. That's the last word. Oh, of it. that's like, awesome. Fuck. It's super cool. So I might feel stupid um, with this question, but I could not place her. The Bruce Willis's girlfriend in the film, is she, what, who is she? I've, I I can't recall ever seeing her. In she anything. looks like Julia Binoche, yeah, but she's kinda, not in but, Okay. Okay. I don't but think I was she feel was stupid. like, oh, is, she was the star of this. Really I think she's probably, she's uh, probably an actual French actress that Tarantino loves probably, and yeah. probably doesn't have like any American crossover. Kind of like from uh, with Christoph Waltz. You're Christoph Waltz or um, Shoshana from Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the main girl? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Melanie Laurent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's super good in Beginners. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen oh, that. Oh, it's super good. Yeah. One thing I think is is was important for this film because people are just getting to know Tarantino um, versus later on is having that definition of pulp at the beginning because I think now people get Tarantino and they get what his movies are trying to do. But I think to set the stage, kind of like what you're talking about, that this is a different type of world and a world unto itself that's more violent and stuff like that. I feel like that was really important to be like, look, guys, you know, let's just don't watch this by thinking, you know, well, that wouldn't really happen. That's not realistic. I mean, I think that I like that. I mean, it was instead of having like a big disclaimer, just not doing it, I thought it was important to kind of have that. And that was I feel like that was before a lot of movies started putting definitions before do movies do that dogma did it at the beginning rip off (laughs) (laughs) totally but i'm just saying like i've I've seen so many films that kind of have either like a quote or a disclaimer or a definition or something but isn't it also that like uh crime dramas or whatever are written on pulp books yeah the pulp fiction is a pulp fiction is a is an old term like that's what the the pulps the pulps were the books that led to comic books in a way, mm. a very, very simplified way of looking at the history of comics. <laughs> like they're cheaply made, like throwaway stories you can read and throw the book yeah, away. And the paper's like shit. It's and, like uh, pulp is just, you use like, like a guilty the, pleasure type thing or no pulp is like the, the backwash of paper. <laughs> like that's what that's, it's all the little pieces of paper that didn't get made into actual pieces of like <laughs> sheet paper. That's what it's. So he's saying, she, like all, like my story is the same as those stories you would see in those books. Yeah, yeah. He, that's I, he's saying. These are more like the '30s, '40s, like gangster stuff. Mm, but more it, fantastical. Like, it's more trashy too. Yeah, like yeah. that's what the pulps are. They're a little bit more trashy. They're not as high class. And I think that's what he was really going for. It's mm-hmm. like this is street level kind of uh, dirtier sort of story. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the pulps. It's yeah. like it's like a callback to those old stuff. Which is funny because I feel like that's a fake out. Seeing as how brilliant the script is, be like, oh, you know, whatever. It's whatever. And you watch, you're like, holy shit. And the conversations in this movie are beautiful. Mm-hmm. But didn't you feel? I mean, I agree. But did you feel like with Tim Roth's first speech and then John Travolta's car speech? Didn't those feel like like what I said earlier, where Quentin Tarantino is basically having his normal conversation? And he's like, Wh- you know, I should probably put this in a movie. Which one's that? The, uh, the the, the royal the, I think the royal so, oh, one but then I don't remember the first Tim the Roth first speech one, the first Tim Roth speech about is about robbing banks yeah why they were going to rob the restaurant well like oh yeah. the yeah breaking down like w- why you would rob a certain thing and why it'd be mm. easier to do that I kind of felt like that was just maybe a conversation Tarantino just 
bullshits with his friends. He's probably. Like, he yeah, seems crazy. Well, same, probably same thing like with him. the Like a Virgin Madonna thing. Like that's just him yeah. fucking around with his buddies. And I'm going to put another movie. Mm. But also the Royale Cheese thing. I think Tarantino came back from Amsterdam. Yeah, he wrote this movie yeah. in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. In a hash bar. Yeah. So then that's where that whole speech comes from. Yeah. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. And it definitely works for the characters. Um, I thought it was funny to see SNL's It's Pat in this. Yeah. Julia he, Sweeney? Yeah. He's, you a know friend, he's a friend of hers. He wrote yeah. It's Pat. He, he, he did? Like, he yeah. script doctored it. Yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> but I don't think he I did not know yeah. Tarantino's associated with It's Pat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he's... Yeah. I don't think he's credited, but I think he, he script doctored yeah, it. Yeah, he definitely yeah. was a part That's of it. too funny. But yeah, Julia Sweeney, she's also lovely. I love yeah. Julia Oh, she's Sweeney. great. Yeah, she's in <laughs> the Every movie. time I see her, I she, think. It's she's the, the, I don't know her name, but she's the one that says bye or uh-huh. good yeah. morning. She's whatever. Harvey Keitel's girlfriend. He, or his girlfriend? Or his mistress or whatever. I think I thought they had a thing. I thought it was, that, that was a, that seemed more like a friend, like oh, he knew the dad. I, I just thought they had a thing. I thought it was his Monster niece or Joe. Something. He knows Monster Joe. Yeah, what's her name? Roxanne? Because uh, she says like goodbye, Roxanne. Roxanne. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say goodbye, whatever. But he, Tarantino like, well, it's coming friend. up soon enough, so we'll see. Uh, he's a friend of like the Groundlings and like all that. Like mm-hmm. he was big in that community, and then he had uh, Phil Lamar, Phil Lamar yeah. who was I think part of the Groundlings. Which I listened to that podcast. That Did you, you listen? Were, uh-huh. It was really good. It was interesting. That um, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to uh, talk about it, Noah? Yeah. What do you think of all this, man? I don't even have an opinion. <laughs> hey, oh man, I just shot <laughs> Noah in the face. <laughs> With I, I thought the the podcast was all right. Um, it, it but it also felt like Phil Lamar's character is so brief yeah it kind of came across that he had way more insider information on the inner workings of tarantino and whatnot than i'm like well but Hmm? you weren't there that long yeah i mean i know he kind of knew him from a show at groundlings Uh, but it just kind of felt like he maybe i mean he kind of was telling more trivia that everybody uh, okay yeah that the um they were in the script the whole scene that you're just in acting where he shoots Marvin yeah. in the face. Which is great. I love yeah. just the randomness of that shit. Yeah, it was supposed to like he was supposed to accidentally shoot him in the arm. Throw the and throw the mercy. Oh, yeah. And but it was, was John Travolta's yeah. idea to change that. It's, and he brought it up with Tarantino's to to make it more so they're not monsters of yeah. the character. Because so, according to Phil, which I mm-hmm. thought was a funny story, that when they came in for this table read, um John Travolta saw Phil. He's like, I'm supposed to shoot him. Man, people are gonna hate me. <laughs> so he wanted it to be where he accidentally just shoots him. That seems so funny. He's like, "Oh man, I just shot Marvin in the face." <laughs> what did you do that for? Man, oh man, I don't know. The gun went off. You must have hit a pothole or something, man. Man, What's I don't it? even hit no potholes. <laughs> when he's washing his hands, man, what the fuck is this? What oh, you saw me wash him? Oh, I saw so you get him wet. <laughs> that's what I like too. I was watching. I was rewatching it last night too. Here uh, that uh, there's the dynamics between the characters like. They play, um, like, one is, like, the childlike character, and then the one is the adult character. You see that between Jules and Vincent, where mm-hmm. Jules is, like, giving him a whole speech. Like, man, I see you, like, yeah. be, oh, he be respectful. Does a thing. Yeah. yeah, be respectful for Jimmy. Like, this is my boy and stuff like that. And then you see that happen with Jimmy, where Jimmy gives uh, Jules shit, and Jules is, like, the little boy. He's like, I'm sorry for yeah. him. Yeah. And then that happens again with Jul- uh, Jimmy and the wolf. Like that whole switch off. Yeah, I, well, love I love the whole mentor feeling to a lot of the different characters. I mm-hmm. love that relationship dynamic. Because, I mean, yeah, it felt definitely like I idolized this person. Yeah. I thought that was great. Well, but, even like with uh, after they get, uh, the whole thing about like why he, the coffee's good. It's like, I, I, I know the coffee's good, Jules. Because <laughs> <laughs> when Bonnie buys the good, Bonnie, when Bonnie He calls him Julie. 
Yeah, Julie. That's right. That's yeah. right. Oh, that's right. Um, but then, but then when I when he, I, know uh, I, <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> I buy the gourmet expensive shit because when I drink it, I want to taste it. <laughs> um, but uh, but I like when Wolf Winston Wolf comes by a little bit later. Mm. He like takes a coffee and then turns to give him mm. like a mm, really fucking good <laughs> yeah. coffee. And then Tarantino says nothing about it. And he, that's you can kind of see is like the, the, yeah. the differentiating of their um, dynamics. Yeah, or the, respecting their, like authority. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly, Wolf is the authority figure yeah. in this, um, in that scene. Mm-hmm. I'm what I'm curious about is it's eight thirty in the morning. Yeah, there is a full on party happening at the Wolf residence. Yeah, I don't think it's a funeral. Really, I look. I, I don't I, think when it's I a first funeral. saw it, I just uh, magically. I, I mean, I, I just associated it with a funeral. People are having too good of a time, and people are being some like. Some people too... celebrate funerals. Like... No, I know, but it's also like the dress is like. Early '90s, like very bright color. I thought everyone was just wearing dark suits. No, it, it, there are uh-huh. people like in the background, like people kind of just chatting and chit chatting, and it doesn't look like it's a funeral. It looks like mm. it's like a like a brunch or something, like an early morning like soiree. But like he's like straight up in like a full on tux. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he did not go home and change. Yeah. He was already in it. That's just weird. Like the to think of the time the movie's happening. Like they, the first thing is at seven in the morning that they meet the Marvin and his crew. Yeah. And then just like a couple hours pass oh. because Bonnie comes home at like ten or Wait, something. It, the whole thing. Trevor, yeah, Trevor, go ahead. Nothing. I don't think anything takes place in PM in this whole movie. Maybe the only thing well, there, the, the, diner, the boxing, the diner and dancing, the boxing. I think probably happens late, late, late at night. Oh, you mean like AM? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like I think oh, like, like like midnight AM, like one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The only thing that would happen would be the Jack Rabbit Slims, and maybe whenever um, Ving Rhames and Bruce Willis like. Get it, but yeah, the majority of well, this happens before like morning. ten in the morning. Yeah, I mean, who know? I don't know exactly when this is taking place because it could have been they got knocked out, and it's this uh, is the oh, wait, next they morning. Just, they would yeah. just when um, yeah. Bruce Willis goes back to the apartment. Hope, they would have just said the time um, on the his watch. Um, but, but yeah, it, like the t- whole thing takes place. It's they got to the diner at like ten in the morning uh-huh. because D- Bonnie gets home at nine thirty. So they shot Marvin at about eight because you can see that they, the whole thing with every clock in, in Pulp Fiction That's is at wrong. 420. It's wrong. It's wrong. Because yeah. it shows that it's about 815, I think they said like at the pawn shop, all of them are 420, yeah, but the other places Which makes sense. Times. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense because it's a pawn shop and it's that pawn shop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you see behind Jimmy, it says like 815, 820 AM yeah. when he's giving his whole mm-hmm. dead nigger storage speech. Yeah. <laughs> It's hilarious. And plus, they, they talk about the time before. What time is it? Before they even go into the apartment. Which yeah. Is like 7, 722. So, yeah, we Let's hold back a little bit. Yeah. Um, one thing that Trevor pointed out to me, which I never caught, which I thought was really funny, was in Samuel Jackson's Ezekiel 2517 speech. Uh, or no, no. Before, right before he's, uh, he gives that speech to him, he's talking to the guys. And he says, uh, Marcellus Wallace doesn't like to get fucked by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. And then he points out to me that he gets fucked by fucking Zed. <laughs> yeah, and I never even I never even and thought about it. he does not like it. <laughs> no, he's not a fan. I was like, that's, oh, what, shit, that's what's that's crazy. I didn't realize like the juxtaposition. It's like that scene just happened and then it goes back to Jewel and say he doesn't like to be fucked. By yeah. He, he's not a bitch. And then um, also with that, they... Um, God damn. Um, Marcellus Wallace, when he's talking, he was like, how many fights do you think you got? two left and he has two fights 
He has the fight in the ring and the fight for his watch. Mm. Oh, so Bruce Willis shit. has like there's that's, that's awesome. That's why Tarantino's as beautiful of a director as he can be. He is so much more a writer. Yeah, he's oh, so totally. much more a writer, and and that's why it's stuff like that is all over the place. Like where he just like foreshadows the whole mm-hmm. yeah. sh- movie basically in in different parts. And there's a subtle foreshadow too of when John Travolta buys the the baggie of heroin. But the guy says, I don't, have, I don't have a balloon. You're going to have to use a baggie. And that's why she mistakes it for cocaine yeah. because mm-hmm. it's in a baggie. It's not yeah. a balloon. Um, the one thing I really like that I didn't catch until we watched it again for this is the whole conversation uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta have on their way up to the apartment. It's about mm-hmm. Tony Rocky Horror. Where they're talking about Miss Ellis Wallace and the guy who... The foot massage? Uh, yeah, the foot massage. Yeah. They are talking about the consequences of upsetting marcellus wallace as they are on them on their way to provide the consequences for fucking over marcellus wallace so it's like a parallel uh, they're talking about how they sent a couple of guys over to take care of tony rocker horror and they threw him out of uh, a window because he did something to marcellus and that's what these people did mm. and so it's kind of funny to see them equating the actions of marcellus wallace as they themselves okay. was are, it justified and- yeah was this justified it's like as we're seeing them about to do the exact same thing, just mm. different circumstances. I thought that was really cool to see the parallel there. Because cool. you get tripped up over it. Like a lot of this stuff, you get tripped over the 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 content of it. Mm-hmm. You don't really see what it's sort of illuminating. That's why it's know? so good. There's yeah. so many layers to this movie. And mm-hmm. also that scene is like 11 minutes of one take yeah, of yeah, yeah. them getting out of the car. Or you no, know, going up the elevator and then coming down the hallway and then like going farther and the camera stays where the door is, and then they go into the door. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, it's oh, that this movie. Like, there's so much about that stuff that, like, I've watched this movie so, so, so many times, mm-hmm. and to just still be kind of discovering stuff, yeah, and yeah still be learning, still do, yeah. and still being seeing different ways to watch this film um, is amazing. This, this is the part where, he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've had this movie playing on silence this whole time. And now so we get time, to the we get to the part where we see Marcellus Wallace's face for the first time. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And also like you see like the action stuff is like it's really well done for like yeah. such a low budget movie. Yeah. They said yeah. the movie cost eight million dollars and, and five of it was salary. Yeah. Actors. So this movie just cost three million dollars to make. When you think about it, this movie is like it's so simple yet complex. Like the writing yeah. is obviously complex, but yeah. like the filmmaking, like this whole scene of a them walk Jules and Vincent walking to the to the Marvin's place, that's just the two guys in a camera. Yeah. Like it's just a, a steady cam following a camera and then there's just two guys talking for 11 minutes. Well, probably the most expensive sequence had to have been Jackrabbit Slims. Yeah. Most they, likely. They built that, right? Well, yeah, they would have had to build it or at the very least find a set and retrofit, like find a mm-hmm. restaurant and then retrofit it and then also provide costumes for all those people. Yeah. Um, that was probably and so here's where my favorite part is coming up. Boom. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um... It's just so funny. It's just so needless. It's so needlessly mean and so needlessly like collateral damage <laughs> in this fight. <laughs> and while I can't, I, I couldn't figure out where to like confirm this or not. Supposedly, when Danny DeVito came on as producer of this, it was his idea to uh, have it have the sequences all jumbled instead of being like chronologically shown. I thought that was the original script. No. I was well, trying to look it up, and there's like couple uh, different i mean i couldn't figure out something like specifically uh, well um, that's interesting but you can see how there may be credence to that because 
Reservoir Dogs is kind of the same film mm-hmm. as this. Yeah. But it is also telling it's it's jumping back and forth in time because it's using flashbacks. Yeah. But the main story is playing out chronologically mm-hmm. in a linear story. So I mean maybe there is credence to that where you see the structure of pulp fiction within Reservoir Dogs, but you yeah. don't see it jumping around and like right. weaving and showing different parts going back and then going, and going forward, forward again. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's true. I don't know, but you can definitely see that Tarantino definitely loves structuring stuff the way he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because how many, like the only film that does it, that was really successful and doesn't really feel like a Tarantino one is Jackie Brown. And that's the only ad- adapted yeah. film he did because everything else feels like Kill Bill has all the chapter titles. And so mm-hmm. does, uh, Glorious Bastards. Bastards. Yep. The only one that really doesn't is um, Django. Django, but that uses different uses titles in different ways. Like mm. it has like the Mississippi, Mississippi. Crow. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious about that. If maybe Danny DeVito just like, hey, let's do this, and then that sort of cemented it in uh-huh. Tarantino's head that he just wanted to do it moving forward. Or I also what? listened in an interview with Tarantino that he structures his movies like books like books always like go out of order it's not just like sequential like well, yeah. this chapter will be this this chapter will be that so he just did that carried that over into the movie yeah i mean that's pulp yeah pulp fiction right there it's funny rewatching Bam. the hmm. dance scene with uma thurman and john travolta um it reminded me of the sequel to get shorty be cool hmm. where i feel like they definitely because they have a dance scene with the two of them in that movie and I feel like that was them trying to recapture the magic of this film and hopefully adding to Be Cool, but Wait, nothing could have saved Be Cool. It was horrible. Was that with The Rock? Was yeah. And- oh, he was my favorite part of that whole movie, but that movie as a whole is just yeah. awful. Well, the dance sequence is... And it's, um, that's even from something else. It's from, it's a Fellini reference. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember. It's, shot, it's move for move. Yeah, I can't I remember that, if it's the Dolce. It's it's not move for move. It's not as uh, no, damn it, IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's it's close enough that yeah. you can look at it and just go, okay, that's obviously inspired. I can't yeah. remember if it's La Dolce Vita or Eight and a Half. Eight and a Half. It is Eight and a Half. because yeah. I saw it on YouTube. You can see like the co- comparison, but oh, okay, there's like yeah. there's like some shots like that. Nobody but like, dances like Travolta. <laughs> okay, let's just clear the air right now. Motherfucker got skill. Skills, man, still from Greece to when this was made, never lost his step. Well, I he even there are character moments within it too. Like you can kind of see yeah. their growing tension mm-hmm. because she like intently makes eye contact with him, and he just continually just shies yeah. away from it. Like he'll look at her to the point that you can like see him like get uncomfortable and like pull back. It's like oh, boss's wife, boss's yeah. wife. Yep. And so I like that that even go still, home, jerk off, and that's all you're gonna do. <laughs> She's yeah, she's like getting closer and closer, but mm-hmm. he's just pulling back. And yeah, like, nope, this is, yeah, this is. I'm just taking the boss's wife, big out. man's wife, yeah. big man's wife. But that's like why hateful eight is like going to use like the stylized eight because mm-hmm. of the Fellini thing. That's why eight and a half uh, is called eight and a half because mm-hmm. it was his eight and a half movie <laughs> because he considered like there's one film he did like that's half a movie, uh, so that's why it's called eight and a half. That's and, awesome. and that's why I think Tarantino, that's why the hateful eight is like Tarantino's eighth movie and like all that stuff. A lot of people say that Tarantino steals from like everybody's like uh pays homage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say more of that. Well, the reason why Tarantino is important as a filmmaker is because he remembers the history of film. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he remembers yeah. the history of movies, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Like he fucking references Fellini in this film. Like to, for yeah. Fellini is like one of the most important filmmakers like of all time mm-hmm. and Tarantino like has studied his stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And then he like also has this like bullshit stuff. Like he he's just as much a devote like to Elmer Lennon uh, Leonard, mm-hmm. who does um well, like his crime stuff. Yeah, even with with uh, the Grindhouse stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. that's him paying homage to the shitty schlock type of films mm. but his love for them but also paying respect to the all the good chase sequences of the 70s right like it's yeah. all about like stuff like bullet and all those like mm. crazy car chases of the 70s when the guys like actually were in those death proof automobiles and so yeah it's just so interesting like tarantino as much as his homaging of stuff is a negative in people's eyes it's it's also like the source of his strength mm-hmm. that he knows all this stuff from film history that he's able to pull upon that it makes him like a powerful director yeah but i mean also, i completely appreciate yeah. it even with like django that was definitely a love letter to spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. um and i want to i want to see because the first four films that he did were all modern day mm-hmm. Um, and then since then, it's been yeah. all period I pieces. Mo- I want to see, see him come back. Yeah. Because yeah. he has become such a better filmmaker in these mm. last four films. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Like it, with Django and Inglorious Bastards, those films are like amazing. Those are his. Yeah. Best. I think Inglorious Bastards is better. That's a masterpiece of a movie. Yeah. That's but just it's like, like so perfect. Between those two, the one of those two is currently Tarantino's best film. As amazing as Pulp Fiction is, mm-hmm. it's kind of like what I was saying with Toy Story. Toy Story 3 yep. is in every way better than... And just because experience. Uh-huh. That's mm-hmm. the only difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The passion's still there. The talent's still there. You can see, like, Tarantino's not a different person between Pulp Fiction and, like, Django, but he just has more experience. He's mm-hmm. a more comfortable, mm-hmm. competent filmmaker that just makes it a superior film. And so that, yeah, I'd love to see him kind of go back to this well and go back to this, like, modern-day street-level crime and see what he could do with it. It's good. Kill Bill, right? But it's like Kill Bill happened like 10 years ago. That, that's what I was going to say. There's a period after Pulp Fiction where like he didn't kind of die off, but he went into like From Dust Till Dawn, which wasn't a big hit. And then he, well, he, dir- he, wrote, he wrote it. Wrote it. Started, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was Rod- Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. But then like, I don't know. Like I didn't, there was a period where I didn't watch like as many Tarantino movies until he came back with yeah, the Glorious you know, Bastards. Even with Kill Bill 1 and 2, that did not blow me away. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't, I don't know. Kill Bill it is just, why I want to do like what I would do. Like, I wanted to be a filmmaker in high school, and that was because I saw Kill Bill. Yeah, those like, movies were amazing. Yeah, yeah Tarantino. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, Tarantino is the most, influ- for me, he's, like, the yeah. most influential film director. Uh-huh. Like, he, nobody else has influenced my way of viewing films and mm. creating films the way Tarantino has. And is you can see it because he's such a powerful figure and just so fucking f- amazing. Like, right now we're watching the scene where Bruce Willis is contemplating leaving, but he's going to go back and save Ving Rhames. And that's just great acting right there. Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't, he's not saying anything. He's just, you can see like the thoughts running in his mind. Should I As leave he, right now? Even when he's going through his selection of weapon, doesn't yeah. say anything, but the way he looks at him, equally, yeah. oh, man, it's tough. all t- silent. You just hear the fucking in the background. Mm-hmm. But then I think that's Wait, hilarious. It's rape. Too. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. Fucking, <laughs> whatever. No, no, no. We no, need no, to establish no. a line. No, whatever. Raping. <laughs> he's raping. Whatever. But, uh, but I think that's hilarious too that Bruce Willis takes his time. <laughs> choosing a weapon while the guy's still getting fucked in the background. Well, it's like he's not in immediate danger. He's getting he's, fucked. He's not getting murdered. Yeah, but, <laughs> so but he's got like, some the damage has been done. Yeah, but you think like he would like well, I mean, I think rush things a little uh, bit. But then is he decided to do like his uh his dad did like the his POW moment where it's him and then this guy 
and they're behind enemy lines or they're being tortured or whatever together. I think that's what kind of drove him back there. Oh, uh, I didn't see the parallel. <laughs> yeah, right now Ving Rhames is getting the watch put up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never really kind of put that together either. But yeah, I definitely think that's why they talk about the POW experience, the shared POW experience and what it can do, how it can yeah. bring two men together. And I think, yeah, I never really put that together. And you can see that this bond, like, as prisoners of war, they now... Like, Ving Rams is going to murder him. Yeah. They were both going to murder... They tried to murder each other. Yeah. And now here's Bruce Willis coming back to save him. And I think if the shoe was on the other foot, Ving Rams probably would... I don't know. I don't know if I Ving, Rams, Ving would, Rams would. I think, I think he would have seen it like, well, that's my problem taken care yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this is Bruce Willis's problem. Th- this is his thing to redeem. Oh, with the watch opening the door. What time is it? Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like eight it's like eight thirty. It's such a weird sequence. It's like, like it's so <laughs> out of left field for a movie that's yeah. like already crazy, but it's just even more nuts. <laughs> and we're all just watching. It's the last spider's caught himself a fly. So, yeah, just so you guys know, uh, who are listening, I'm in full gimp wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who is that guy yo um i was looking up notes for this man and they had a picture and it was just the regular guy that said as the gimp and i was like ah, oh, don't fucking show me this person <laughs> yeah i don't care about this, the actor this guy i never i never wanted to see the gimp like who was inside that suit never no. And then I saw it, and he had, like, long gray hair. I was like, oh, God, this is ruined for me. So until I rewatched this, I always thought people were kind of joking about it, about uh, Quentin Tarantino's definite foot fetish. Mm. Until you rewatched it, I was like, oh, no, that's a, that's a real thing. It's even more prominent in Kill Bill. Yeah. 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 With that whole you, excruciatingly long scene about yeah. her getting mm. feeling back in her foot. Yeah. Mm. Her long toes. He, and she's pretty mm. much barefoot in this whole thing. Yeah. Think so? Practically, yeah. Because well, the fr- we see her f- feet before we see her face. Yeah, yeah. both. That's kind of both Wallaces get like prolonged introductions mm-hmm. before you actually see who they are, and they never speak to each other. Yeah, there's never a yeah. They never speak to each other. That's very. Yeah. They have two scenes together, mm-hmm. and they don't even. Yeah, the when <laughs> he's by the pool sending the wolf, and then yeah. when he's in Butch's, uh, or yeah, Butch's. Uh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the other guy. Yeah, the Paul. Yeah, they don't speak. Yeah. This is funny too. He's like, "We could, we good, or how you doing?" Like, oh, pretty- that, oh, that, what now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty fucking far from okay. okay. <laughs> Lost all your LA privileges. Apparently, uh, Daniel Day Lewis was wanted to play Vincent, Ooh. and Quentin Tarantino said, "No, I want you John can't Travolta. Yeah, you can't dance like Travolta. I also yeah. think that's what's crazy. That Tarantino made this when he was thirty, thirty one. Like he had people like lobbying for his yeah. roles. It was well, a at the time, movie. this is where Reservoir Dogs was such like a yeah. like a hit, right? Yeah. Well, and it this, wasn't like it wasn't financially, a huge hit, no, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like amongst like yeah, critics yeah. and people who watched it, they loved and it. This yeah. w- this was technically an independent film, yeah. So he had more control over it than yeah. like a studio film. Mm-hmm. The Weinstein Brothers, Miramax, mm-hmm. yeah, Miramax. But, but um, yeah, they said Tarantino said the only reason was that Reservoir Dog got made was Harvey Keitel expressed interest. Yep. Yeah, Harvey Keitel is like a producer on it. Yeah, yeah and then just based on the script like the amazing script that tarantino wrote this a-list actor is gonna be like hey i'm gonna make your movie mm. and then he 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 follows through he makes a badass movie and then his second movie everyone wants to be in his movie yeah, yeah. that's um for butch there was mickey rourke matt Dillon, and sylvester stallone were all considered for it um stallone's the only one out of those three that i'd be curious to see yeah like mickey rourke i feel is the same reason for like i don't want to see daniel day lewis <laughs> right yeah. 
Michelle Pfeiffer, Daryl Hannah, Meg Ryan, Joan Cusack, and Isabel, Isabella Rosalini were all in contention for Mia. I could see Michelle Pfeiffer and Mia with a... Because doesn't she have like that same wig and a Scarface? Or like mm-hmm. same, yeah. Like, except it's blonde. Yeah. 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 Same I'd, see, I'd be curious to see Daryl Hannah considering how they work together uh, later on. And Kill Bill. And Kill Bill. But it's also, I mean, this film's also perfectly cast. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Everyone, oh, totally. Everyone's perfect in their roles. Totally. Um, I thought there's a, there, there's a cut scene where Vincent tells Mia he's been fantasizing about being beaten up by Emma Peel of the Avengers. <laughs> and then Uma Thurman ends up playing Emma Peel in Avengers. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. I I haven't seen like uh there's deleted scenes for this movie right mm-hmm. I haven't seen some like where they go into detail about like being an Elvis man or Beatles man mm-hmm. and when she has the camera on him yeah when she's interviewing I, him yeah. I might have seen that I've yeah. seen yeah yeah but uh, like is it any good or is there a reason they cut it out no I mean it's a, it's uh, maybe pacing yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a kind of a slow conversation but it's interesting as hell okay because yeah. there's also a sequence that they talk about at the end where Jules. When there's that, they have that whole Mexican standoff with Jules and uh, Pumpkin or Honey. Is it Pumpkin? The guy? Mm-hmm. Ringo. Who's calling him Ringo? Ringo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where like he has like a whole fantasy of like doing this whole shootout thing and then it cuts back to him being in real life and they cut all that out. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice this until now, but kind of going back to what you're talking about with the shared PO or POW experience and, you know, the significance with the watch. When Bruce Willis leaves the pawn shop, there's a handwritten like sign in the window talking about like they have watch batteries mm. and things like that. So it's, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Uh, during that rape scene, uh, Quentin Tarantino wanted the song My Sharona to be playing. <laughs> um, but apparently it had already been licensed by Reality Bites at the time. Oh, that would have been perfect and, too. That would have been so funny because My Sharona like became like, it came back into like popular consciousness <laughs> with Reality Bites. Yeah. Like that's why Will Ferrell... He like plays like my Sharona like on an SNL skit, Janarina's dance party. Oh hell, that yeah. would have been fucking yeah. hilarious. Uh, also, <laughs> one of the members of the band had just recently become a born again Christian and didn't want the song to be associated with the scene of sexual violence. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, another thing, the the music in the movie is amazing. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, oh totally, yeah, yeah. he knows how to choose the right music to. This, for is, the this is this is his best soundtrack He's by, by far, oh, for by sure. far, like. I like well, Kill also, Bill. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Reservoir, yeah. I thought you were going to say Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Well, I mean, those are, that's again why I say like it's Sam, kind of like a loose trilogy. Yeah. Is they seem to have like they stepped up. Reservoir Dogs game. just feels like it's Pulp Fiction subdued and focused yeah. on one little group of people. Whereas Reser- Pulp Fiction is just bigger. Just mm-hmm. everything plus this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's definitely Reservoir Dogs has a really good soundtrack, but this is like. It's got, you got Dusty Springfield. You got <laughs> fucking Al Green. You got some great stuff yeah. in this. Some of the scenes um, with Jimmy were directed, even though it was uncredited, by Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Courtney, this is funny. Courtney Love claimed that Quentin originally wanted her and Kurt to play Lance and Jody, but <laughs> Tarantino says he you know, denies ever having met <laughs> like, Kurt no. or offering them the part. You crazy Toby. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, there was, yeah, Jim, uh, Tarantino was supposed to choose either between playing Jimmy or, uh, what's the other guy's name? The, uh, get Lance? the shot, Lance. Lance. Yeah. But he wanted, to be, <laughs> he wanted to be behind the camera for that scene because that's such an intense scene and anyone could have directed it. He wanted Jimmy. to say the N word 57 times. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this guy's racist. So, so Uma Thurman um, originally turned down the role. Um, but Quentin wanted her so bad that he read the script over the phone to her to convince her to like do the part. 
Other than that, I mean, do we have any other they trivia said, or any, uh, any other they, thoughts? In the, that podcast with Phil Lamar, they said this is kind of a continuity error. Yeah. Where they shoot like five times or whatever. And when they look back again, the bullet holes are gone. Oh, really? Yeah. No, the bullet they're holes there are before. already there. You can oh, see Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're there before the shots. I yeah. like the shot. These close-ups too. Those are like spaghetti western shots. Of, yeah. Uh, when it's just like super close-up yeah. of just like the chin up or whatever. That's all like good and bad and ugly shots. Mm-hmm. Well, what's really interesting about this they was again mm-hmm. uh Jules is the only one spared in the in their miracle like they're oh, it's all not the, Travolta you can see no. behind him there are bullet holes oh. directly yeah. behind Samuel L. Jackson uh, and there's every and the bullet holes behind John Travolta are just around and so Joel, Samuel L. Jackson was the only one who actually felt the miracle because uh, it was only he was the only one spared yeah, right there yeah so you can see there's already shots oh, there okay yeah um, but it was a quick shot yeah yeah, yeah. so it just it seems like they yeah. fucked up because well phil amar said he just assumes that probably that was the best take mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. why and they said it. like if if you if people are looking at the background of your movie like it means your movie's no good yeah yeah <laughs> It's only because you can rewatch it a billion times nowadays yeah, that it says you can fast broken down. And also, uh, Philomar said, um, Philomar plays Marvin. Did we already establish that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, when Sam Jackson's like, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. And then he just keeps the stare on him. He wasn't supposed to do that, but he just mm-hmm. kept that gaze on I him. I love that fucking moment. Yeah. And Phil Lamar you were was like, saying, and he yeah. didn't even look back at the dude. Yeah. yeah. Phil Lamar wasn't like, he wasn't expecting that. He was just like, okay, now look back. Look so, back. Like, you can see. See, there's nothing. So John Travolta was to the left. Yeah. And there's just three bullets right in Sam Jackson's chest. Uh, and so, yeah, Sam Jackson was the only one who was spared, which is also like, a, uh, like some people say that's a signifier of Vincent's eventual death because there's no need to spare him because he's going to die yeah. in a day uh, anyway, so who cares? And he's a horrible hitman, too. Yeah, he's also a horrible <laughs> hitman. He's just bad at his job. Yeah. And uh, why would you leave the gun on the counter when you're taking a shit? Yeah. He's a horrible... Yeah, uh, what? That's either, not professional. Yeah. Come on, guys. He's a horrible person or he just has bad luck because of the bad luck thing with Mia and also that he gets shot up when he takes a shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, all, all three of his like bathroom <laughs> visits fuck him over. It's super bad. Um, so what do we what do we think happens in the future for the surviving characters? That's what I was talking about, Chris. With that, like the last sequence or chronologically is Butch and that we just saw Butch and his girls driving Leaving. off. Yeah, that's the final mm-hmm. like into the future right there because mm-hmm. everyone else is dead. Yeah, yeah. No, everybody like just Travolta. Travolta is the only Travolta. one who's dead, yeah. and Marvin. Marvin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the, yeah. That nobody else is dies. A closed casket funeral for mm-hmm. Marvin, um, <laughs> which is weird because they show his face in the the trunk. When carrying, oh yeah, and the that's truck the and they're that's the dummy that they use. Yeah. to blow up his head. Yeah, <laughs> when, in the podcast too, they mentioned that they filmed those scenes first. Yeah, they did like a mold of him, and they filmed those scenes first, and then they shot it, and then they see Phil come after. Like they they're meeting the guy that they just destroyed after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's super funny. All right, so uh, Butch and Fabian, where were they going? To Tennessee? Tennessee. Uh, and then someplace else, right? They're going to Tennessee yeah. to collect their money. Uh-huh. And then they're going, we Bora, say Bora, Bora, Bora yeah. Mexico, someplace. Um, I imagine that's what that's what they went and did. Yeah. I don't see him, get, I mean, I'm sure he has even more horrible nightmares now. Not just of the guy who told him about his father, but now of the shit he went through with that. <laughs> um, so he probably still wakes up and sweats. Uh, and then I also heard that uh, that whole scene with when she's talking to him um, after his fight is uh, 
her wanting to tell him that she's pregnant. Yeah. Um, so that I was meant, mine, or I was gonna be like, she's pregnant. That's what oh, you, that's, you told me that, but I, that makes sense now because like all the like little hints that she's giving mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like I want, I want a pot belly. belly, yeah, and I'm gonna eat a bunch pot. of stuff for breakfast because mm-hmm. I'm so hungry now. Um, so I probably had a kid laying, laying low somewhere. Uh, Sam or Jules, so walking the earth like Kane and Kung Fu <laughs> until he until he becomes Nick Fury. Yeah, this is the origin story of Nick Fury. <laughs> I imagine he probably went to Amsterdam. Yeah, I imagine because he, he was saying, mm. "I got to get." Uh, I yeah, gotta I, think, get I think he heard so that Vince probably, died. That's probably where he went. Mm. Is his I first. think he started his own church called the Miracles. <laughs> the I think miracles? this totally after the diner. I think that totally changed him. Where now he's this spiritual leader, but he's not a televangelist because he refuses to take to take money. His message is way more important. Oh my god. I don't think he's that I don't think, motivated. Uh, yeah. I think, I think he's, he's just going around yeah. having adventures. Yeah. <laughs> he's, having adventure. he's walking the earth like a fucking bum. Yeah. Um one like thing I, th- I noticed um that might like kind of I think Marcellus Wallace is in the middle of like either just got done with or is still in the middle of like a power grab. Mm-hmm. Because if these are taking place in the same world, if we take true romance and definitely Reservoir Dogs, we know that's taking place in the same universe. Yeah, they even had a character who they referenced. Oh, what's so Wallace up to? Oh, he got pinched and he's doing a couple years. I thought, like, I thought Wallace used to uh, handle your diamonds or whatever. He's like, oh, he got pinched. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, need to, I need to check that out again. Um, but I was thinking, cause Joe Cabot, he dies. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's definitely a power vacuum in L- cause it's taking place in LA. Mm-hmm. So that's what Marcellus Wallace has been dealing with is like this power vacuum of, uh, that's why like it's so important bosses. for him to freaking. that's why he's so down on people who screw him over. He yeah. He doesn't want to be show weakness at all. Yeah. Cause that's where it seems like the context of it. So I think that's what he's kind of going to keep on doing yeah. his thing. He's just going to keep on being Marcellus Wallace. After he shot that guy in the dick, what do you think happened? Ooh. He went medieval on his ass. <laughs> he fucking Hardcore pipe hitting niggas with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. <laughs> yeah. I imagine he tortured him for a couple of days. Yeah, right. that was... A, and I imagine the gimp. The gimp still alive. Oh, yeah. You know, he got it too. He had to have. The other dude's dead. He got Bruce Willie to cross the chest. But the gimp, he's still hanging out there. He probably got tortured. Yeah. Dude, they tried chopped him up, kept him alive. He says how I like to imagine it. I think Wallace probably killed him. Oh, eventually probably. he yeah, killed eventually. him. Well, he probably oh, just left him there. And I, I, no, I bet you he ripped out his tongue. Why? So he wouldn't tell anybody. Uh, hey, I was fucking him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Don't tell nobody about this. Say <laughs> nobody's business. So he probably tore out his fucking me? tongue and just have his fucking torture him and keep him alive for days on end. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think Jimmy and Bonnie stayed together. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I'm thinking Honey Bunny. I get a mix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. But do, the, do we think they get out? Do they escape? Because they but hang at that downer for far I th- too I long. Think, I think they get out, but their next heist, well, I think they get because killed. because Vince and Jules made it back to uh, Marcellus' club. That's true. So obviously, um, they and they yeah. left uh, after Honey uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Bunny. Yeah. Honey Bunny. And then I, I, Winston Wolf probably cleaned up. Ter- uh, John Travolta, I imagine that I, I'd like that bit of irony that he would go to uh, Willis's place, especially now that they're like cool, quote unquote, cool him and Marcellus Wallace, mm. uh, Butch and Marcellus. Since they're kind of cool, I imagine they probably cleaned it up. 
Um, I don't know if you would need to though. You could just blame it on uh, Butch. Say yeah, he, he he's killed him. He, anyway. He's on the run anyways. Yeah. He's no longer. But it's himself. also one of his people, and so I think it brings attention anyway. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine. I just mm-hmm. like the irony of yeah. Wolf cleaning up Tra- Travolta, yeah. mm-hmm. and just like motherfucker, <laughs> not even fucking careful. Like, Where's your fucking gun all the way over here? Like fucking bullshit. Like <laughs> yeah. What about you, Hash Larue? Be able to keep those spurs from jangling. All right, Chris. You want to start with the remakes? If you had to remake this film, God, you know, I was uh, I was going through this and I was talking to Brian, and uh, I was having it took me like days oh, to try to figure yeah, this stuff hard. out. Took me like a um, week, and then I was I was like, Brian, what, what do you think? And Brian said, Yo, I'm gonna get the fuck out of my yeah. face, man! I ain't recasting it, man. He's fucking I said perfect. I'm not doing it. <laughs> there's, I didn't. Recast wow, because no. there's. there's this I, is a perfect it movie. Is. It it's is absolutely. Perfect. It is and it's so recent that th- they can play it again too. And I and I spent so long. I spent like hours putting this thing together. But I think I'm only going to say one character that I'm recasting. Wow. Let's um, all say one. Yeah. Okay. Can you think of one? Yeah. Yeah. No. You've obviously prepared L everything, <laughs> so we'll listen to yours. But yeah, I got. It I is, got one. It is inferior to this film, <laughs> but I still I took yeah, all that time. I, I was thinking. I just. I, it was hard for me to place, but. If I were to recast anyone, I would recast William Defoe as Zed. Nice. Oh. Um, go, go, Dorian. I got to figure out this, um, this guy's name first. I went with the Wolf. I would put Robert Downey Jr. in it. I think, especially D- Downey Robert Downey Jr. now has reached like what Keitel was then, mm. because it was this back early nineties. This is before he like goes insane and everything. Like he was doing. Um, yeah, stuff he was doing like middle of the '90s was uh, like he did Chaplin, but he also did. He was in Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Um, Great in that. Yeah, he's super good in that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think Robert Downey Jr. as the Wolf mm-hmm. would be my pick. I could see that the quick talking, fast like cover yeah. up guy. Right. I, I chose Anthony Mackie for Jules. Nice. I could see that. Yeah, that's well, what I. Well, just I'll, I'll just I'll play along. I'll do the one. But one one thing I no, did I want to hear have, all of yours. <laughs> no, I did choose Anthony Mackie for. Jules. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so. that's crazy. I saw your there list. I thought Lenny James <laughs> could have done a good Jules. Who's that? Uh, he plays Morgan the Walking. I think uh, uh, he was in... Do you ever see Snatch? No, I gotta see that. Uh, well, his character in Snatch, I think, mixed with his character Morgan on The Walking Dead now is kind of what Jules is. Yeah. I just like... Right now, that's the scene where the wolf just walked into Jimmy's house. And like, there's just some weird like puppy dog innocent look. To Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. That's why that's why I like the Anthony Mackie choice. Because yeah. he has a sweetness to him, like in his eyes that you can kind of see in Samuel L. Jackson right now. But it's just like that's sort of the thing. It's like that's also the power of like his conversion after like the miracle in the film. It's like you kind of look at Samuel L. Jackson and behind this horrifically gruff person, like extremely violent, angry kind of bad person, motherfucker. Bad motherfucker. He seems like, like you can tell he's devoted to what he's saying oh, totally that he's going to walk the earth and he's going to devote himself to like goodness he wants to be the shepherd and you can kind of see that like goodness just under the surface yeah. with mm-hmm. samuel L. jackson like that's fucking that's why he's still around that's why he does so much stuff because he can be angry crazy bombastic but he also can be super sweet and nice mm-hmm. my one that i'll tell just because i think this would be hilarious um for pumpkin i have michael Sarah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to you got to say the rest of your cast no, no, with no, that. No. It's just not. It's just not as. Who's your director? Because that uh, that one, fuck that. Yeah, that, I'll recast it before I put a new director that in this one, film. That one was actually the easiest for me. Um, really? Just because I'd be curious. I don't. I'm not saying it'd be better or even as good. I'm just curious how. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. 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 Yeah, from Birdman. I think I would be just because the pacing of that and with this, I would be very interested to see his take on it. So that was the easy one for me. Everything else was like, man, I guess this person. I thought of Adam McKay. (laughs) 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 Maybe, I don't know. Ice-T narrates the whole thing. (laughs) Yo, I'm Ice-T. That was some crazy shit. (laughs) Um, I don't know, maybe the the Coen brothers uh, kind of makes like a Big Lebowski with a No Country for Old Man. Mm -hmm. This does have a No Country vibe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's just no... Or even just the, the tone of Burn After Reading is similar to this. Like at the yeah. end, J.K. or J.K. Simmons was yeah. like, what's the point? I don't know. Shit's crazy. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that movie. I wasn't either. But, uh, but that's the kind of the tone where it's yeah, like, yeah. what's the point? Like I, I can know. see what they were doing, yeah. but it didn't work for me. But it's like, they're not really like... I mean, Guy Ritchie does sort of like the same kind of crazy crime. Like, like he's a snatch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. But it's like a different, I mean, it's obviously more British too. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's like British crime. Mm. Um, But yeah, I also don't think he has the same sort of humor. Like there, there's not, it doesn't seem like there's anybody like who fits the bill yeah. for Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Even like as a, all like, shit's so signature. analogous. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But even like just uh, somebody who's so slavish to the old ways of things. Like he, Tarantino does know the way stuff we used to be made and implements that however he sees fit for his films. And I don't see that in a lot of filmmakers no. now that I don't. Yeah. It's just such a different, different, different thing. Yeah. And even like Wes Anderson, who definitely <laughs> no. I would pay money to see Wes. Anderson. Yeah. This. Well, I'm just saying he kind of fits that bill of like the old ways of filmmaking, but his stuff would be way too like, Quirky and yeah. eccentric. To they all have like, all right, dude, sh- they're, sh- they're all from the seventies. And yeah. Tarantino took the crime, the black exploitation, and Wes Anderson took the like fucking indie stuff. He took yeah. the Graduate and Harold and Maude. Yeah. He took those films. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely like the the Hollywood Renaissance seemed to affect all of these filmmakers who kind of came out at that same point. Like it, basically, all the filmmakers of the uh, of prominence in the nineties yeah. mm. were all very much like in some way shaped very heavily yeah. by the films of the 70s. That's when, like, the independent thing was, like, booming. Like, all the, mm-hmm. the Clerks comes out and all yeah. that. Like, all these independent movies come yeah. out. And you see yeah, all because and the- Richard Linklater's um, Slacker. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, Linklater seemed to be, like... Yeah, Linklater, Kevin Smith, all those guys who came out of the, the, the early and mid-90s, like, mm-hmm. very much influenced in some way, shape, or form by some huge 70s filmmaker. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go around. Do we think this stands up as one of the best films ever made? And if it was released today, do you think it'd be as well received? This, I mean, I, I think we already know the answer to this, but Man, it's part I of the show. Even have so. an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have an opinion. <laughs> Is it gonna be like your last episode, where like yes, yes, and yes? <laughs> yeah, it, it completely holds up. Yeah. Like it's even like seeing the the landline phones and the cell phones and all that stuff in its infancy. Like it seems it has this timeless feel to it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um so I guess we're all in agreement with this. Hell motherfucking yeah. All right. Yeah. Time f- for plugs. Chris, you want to start this up? Uh yeah. Uh I got the shows uh every Saturday at seven at the Dale Close Theater at the IOS on Hollywood Boulevard. Um come check it out. 
and listen to Trevor Reese's comic book podcast uh, and subscribe to Ozzy Cobb and all the great shit that uh, we be putting out. Right. Uh, I got nothing going on. <laughs> just the Ozzy Cobb network. Just listen, follow, tell a friend. Yeah. Make Trevor. sure to tell a friend. <laughs> um, I got the Trevor Reese comic book podcast. We have that coming up. I got um, a cool episode that uh, will have come out this past Friday that I'm very excited about. Um, and then... Uh, we have the podcast of two worlds that's going to be starting up sometime this month, the Flash podcast. We're going to be talking about heroes um, eventually at some point this month, too, because the new series is coming out. Mm. And, then, yeah. and then um, I think this is now a thing, but uh, end of the month, uh, last Friday at Nerdist, I have a show. Um, me and my friend Nicole are opening for Mick Smith. It's oh, a two-person cool. improv team, uh, Monica Smith and Kevin McKean, uh, McGeehan, as I said. Um, and yeah, it should be fun. Um, so check that out. And then as always, Trevor Reese Comic Book Podcast, only on Aussie I like it. Um, all the descriptions and links and everything for the network um, will be on, on. I mean, you can just click the little icon and bring all that stuff up. Uh, the, the only other plugs I have is I was a guest correspondent, I guess you'd say, for one of my buddy's other podcasts called Too Many People where basically I break down why uh, the Nolan trilogy is anti-Batman. Um, and I also did a sketch that you can find on YouTube um, that was written and directed by our very own Andrew Goldmeyer, who has his own podcast with us, T2Many. It's called Gluten-Free Yoga is the sketch, and that link will also be on the description. Anti-Batman. Anti-Batman. Do you mean just? I'm not, no, I'm just clarifying the the where is it? Do you mean that it's actively going against the Batman mythology, or that it's just not Batman? It's a different idea because I I can see either way. A little both. Um, I I kind of first off, he wanted me to talk about the Dark Knight Rises, and exactly, and so I went into that. But then I also talked about how because that one was so the way it was every little bit of leniency I gave to the other ones when I rewatched them, kind of the bubble burst um, with like the dark Knight, which I still think Heath Ledger's Ledger's amazing, but that's the that's only thing that kind of stands up. Ends exactly. And then I think Batman begins as the best of the three, but even how that one ends um, with him letting uh, Ra- Al Ghul die um, was like, if you read the night quest, which is part of that whole nightfall series, the reason that Bruce Wayne comes back and realizes he has to reclaim being Batman is because Azrael, who took over at the time, let a killer die. And that's so against what Batman's about is like, if you can save someone, you save somebody. Mm -hmm. So the fact that even that kind of like opened my eyes, like, holy shit, that's right. I mean, that's so that, I mean, that's all part of, that's the the one thing from all the the Zack Snyder stuff that I'm gonna give him is like he's got Batman. I've, I'm very yeah. excited for his Batman because like you see in the trailer, like he is straight up running into the destruction because he's gonna go save people. Mm-hmm. There's a really cool thing at the end of the Justice League, um, the end of the first season of Justice League Unlimited has this whole story set in the future yeah, that I flashes that. back to the past. Oh. And Amanda Waller, who is being played in Suicide Squad by Angela Bassett, right? No, no Viola Davis. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Viola Davis's character in Suicide Squad is Amanda Waller. Mm-hmm. And she talks about, in the animated series, uh, how she's never seen anybody care about, their, uh, care about their fellow man more than she's seen Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see. I want to see, like... 
because the, the Tim Burton stuff, like he actively kills people. And then the the Joel Schumacher stuff is just way too fucking candy. Yeah, and then the Nolan that. stuff, it's he does he is very much like not gonna kill, not gonna kill. And it's very much there, but it's also not. Yeah. It actively goes against it. Yeah. Um and so yeah, that's Zack Snyder. I do do not care for his Superman, although I know Chris has some very good points about that that we've talked about recently. No, you don't. <laughs> but I think I'm very excited about his Batman. I, yeah, I'll be, I'll be I, interested. I, I, I would like to, I, I agree with you about the killing thing. It's like there's, yeah. there is. Well, that's specifically in the book, the reason why Bruce yeah, Wayne comes back. It's like there's no, I don't, he's like, I don't I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. It's like, the, where's the difference? Yeah. Where's <laughs> the difference in that? And so, yeah, that's one thing I'm excited for, for Zack Snyder's uh, stuff. Two things, really quick. Raquel is Julia Sweeney. I have her. I Raquel, yeah. Raquel, I looked at it. And then I think I completely forgot to mention is Jules is wearing a Crazy Cat shirt. Crazy Cat is one of the uh, like earliest comic, uh, comic strips from the paper. Yeah. And it's known for its like... Her, like cartoon like violence that's where itchy and scratchy comes from gotcha. is crazy cat that's awesome. and that's the you can see an image of ignat's uh mouse hitting crazy cat with a brick and like that was their trademark thing is you would just huck it like a softball and hit him in the back of the head so you can see the mouse throwing a brick it's just like he's like falling forward like bloop. and so i think that's also that's very much i feel like it's very much a choice on tarantino's part that I just love how short John Travolta's shorts are. Yeah, just I mean the way that those clothes are is like they're not theirs. Mm. Right. I love it's so that. Funny. It's so yeah. great. Your yeah. clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> dorks. Um, like dorks. a couple of dorks. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I meant to mention that earlier, but then seeing it um, reminded me that that's what. Yeah, it's a total statement right there about the violence. It's like it's a fucking. It's a movie. It's a cartoon. Uh-huh. If you're not going to care about Crazy Cat, then this is the same exact thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we did it, guys. I think we solved Pulp Fiction once and for all. <laughs> um, next episode will be on the waterfront. This has been an Aussie Cobb Media production. Executive producers Noah Kinsey and Brian Nicholas. For more information, visit aussiecobb.com. Where? Where?